Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, data with your ultimate preview for WWE TLC tables, ladders, and chairs. That's right, the Silver King is back to break down everything that happened this week on WWE SmackDown and Monday Night Raw ahead of the final pay-per-view of 2020 for WWE and we definitely have plenty to talk about on this jam-packed episode but it has been a jam-packed month already in the getting over universe for lack of a better term uh it's been a whirlwind you know we talked about it we had our 100th episode a couple weeks ago some very special things that we did for that last week we had a long-form conversation with the former Renee Young, now Renee Paquette. If for some reason you missed that, and I tweeted about it like a dozen times on both our Getting Over account and my personal Twitter account, do not forget to go back and listen to that show. Probably in all my years doing wrestling podcasts, wrestling interviews, honestly, sports interviews as well. And I've been doing all of this stuff for a long, long time. Probably my number one most favorite interview that I've ever done. She was fantastic. She's promoted the hell out of it herself on her social media account. So I thank Renee Paquette for doing so. And I once again, thank thank her for her time. Uh, But please, if you have not listened to that interview, make sure you go back in our archives. It's only a couple shows ago and listen to my interview with Renee Paquette. But we have a loaded week and a loaded month ahead for the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Not only are we talking WWE TLC today with our ultimate preview. We will be back on Sunday night immediately after the show goes off the air with instant analysis of WWE TLC. And in between those on Thursday, we're going to talk about everything that happens on AEW Dynamite and NXT. There's also some interesting stuff coming up towards the end of the month here on Getting Over. We will be doing our first ever Getting Over Awards. I have not yet decided whether that's the name of them. Some people have thrown around the meaties. Not bad. You know, maybe we'll just name some of the individual awards, special things and call them the getting over awards. One way or another, we will be having a wrestling awards show, a very special episode of this podcast before the month is out. So the question is, hey, I'm a loyal listener of getting over. Do I get a voice? Of course you do. So what we're going to do is through the remainder of this week on our Twitter account at getting overcast, I will be announcing the award categories. I will try best I can to fit in the space the nominees that Chris and I have already come up with. And then it will be up to you as our listeners to reply to those Twitter change with nominees of your own. That will fill out our nomination list. And then the following week, we will post online forms so everyone can vote in the Getting Over Awards. Your votes will count for a large percentage Chris, myself, maybe Jack Crosby, maybe a couple other people who you've heard on this air will get votes as well. I will tally them all up and we will present our Getting Over Awards. But it all starts with you guys following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. That way your nominations can be added to our award categories. Also, do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Every single rating, every single review helps bump us up in those podcast categories that are oh so important. Despite getting a bunch of five-star ratings 
over the last week, probably because of the Renee Paquette interview. Thank you all for doing that. We haven't gotten a new review, a written review since November 23rd. Guys, this is pathetic. It's the season of giving. We've talked about it. Thanksgiving come and gone. Now the holiday season is upon us. I know how many of you listen to this show. It is required now that as listeners, the least you can do, head on over to Apple Podcasts, not just a five-star rating. I do appreciate those, but don't forget to give us a review as well. Let us know how much you love the show. Tell people what you like so much about the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. That was a long intro. Now it's time to actually get into the meat. And you know this show is all about the meat. So to do that, I welcome in my co-host, Chris Benini, who you can follow on Twitter at Chris Benini Vintage. Uh, we're out just a couple of days from WWE's final pay-per-view of 2020. And we'll probably end up talking about this later on in the month. But how do you think you're going to look back on WWE and wrestling in 2020? You know, I, I think we have to look at this as the, the it kind of splits into two for me. I, I think mm-hmm. we start with the Performance Center era of WWE, and then we have the Thunderdome era. And mm-hmm. they're very, very different. I, I think the presentation, the way things have, have gone, it's kind of wild, you know, you know, Kenny Omega was on Impact Wrestling last week. I, I know you've talked about it in the show. I watched it. And I had forgotten what watching a wrestling show in an empty, small studio was like. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, whoa, yeah. th- this really made me appreciate everything that is the Thunderdome, the old Thunderdome and the new Thunderdome. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think I look back at how things really changed throughout the year uh, in terms of the presentation and and how they adjusted on the fly, really. Yeah, you know, I think it's the resourcefulness of WWE and AEW both, really. And, you know, and I I say WWE, I obviously include NXT there. You look at the shows as they were presented, even in like May, and compare to what they're all doing now. And it's pretty impressive, Mm -hmm. like how far wrestling has come. And, And I do think we're all going to be in for a shock. Like this vaccine, you know, thankfully, thank God, COVID-19 vaccine, it's just starting to be deployed in the United States sooner than later. You know, hope, hopefully everyone gets it and we're going to be able to go back to games and, and wrestling events and all these things that we missed in 2020. I think it's going to be a shock for people to remember what wrestling is like with a crowd and how much better it is when people react. Like you take something like this Lana Nia Jax feud, right? And we'll talk about it more later. But the way people would have reacted to what happened on Monday night with Lana and Nia Jax, the place would have exploded. And instead, you just kind of get like the satisfaction yourself from seeing something and enjoying it. You know, it really takes things to another level. Think about all the things that happened in 2020. And we'll talk about this really more, like I said, on a later episode as we get uh, you know closer to the end of the year. But Roman Reigns and Kenny Omega and John Moxley and so much shit has happened in wrestling this year. And most of it has come without a crowd or at, at the least with a very minimal crowd in AEW's case. It's just remarkable, I think, that wrestling has managed to maintain its excitement level 75% of the way without crowds, which are such a huge part of the presentation. Right. It, it could have it could have completely cratered. And right. Exactly. And, and, it, and, and there were periods at the Performance Center where it felt like it was. Um, 
but but they uh, they they figured it out and, and worked their way through it. For sure. Now, for any first time listeners of this podcast, normally what we do for our WWE shows is we start off with a main event. We talk about the biggest topics that happened in WWE from SmackDown and Raw. And then we go through and talk about everything else that happened on the show. But because this is a very special pay-per-view ultimate preview episode, we kind of do things backwards. We talk about everything that happened on SmackDown and Raw that basically doesn't fit into our ultimate preview of the pay-per-view. And then our main event comes at the end of the show, our ultimate preview for WWE TLC tables, ladders, and chairs. So with that, no main event sound drop. We're just going to jump right into SmackDown and Raw. And let's start, Chris, with the handicap match from Raw on Monday night, where we saw The Miz and John Morrison defeat Keith Lee. I want to start off by talking about Lee's presentation, because it is far, far better now, not just with the new music that he got, but his ring gear being filled with logos. He looks Far less generic. Now, look, do I personally, as a, a bearded man, you know, I use, I have a, a goatee type of deal. Do I prefer a, be- a bearded Keith Lee? Does he look a little bit more intimidating that way? Yes. Yeah. That may very well be his decision not to have facial hair right now. I don't know. He goes back and forth. But Lee overall, from the initial shock of him in like almost wearing like those wavy type of shorts that Samoa Joe does, like skirt-ish type shorts, to like the black singlet, to the black compression shirt, to now the guy that we have with his full limitless basket my glory gear. Yeah, he's still wearing like the tank top, but to me, I don't mind anymore because Keith Lee and and the way he, they presented him, not just with music and with his attire, but in this match, he is a dominant force on Raw. Yes, absolutely. And it, it, the thing with Keith Lee is so much of the conversation around him is a, a bit meta in the sense that, you know, it, mm-hmm. how is his presentation? What does Vince think of him? What are the latest things Vince might've said about what he wants him to do? What is the music like? And it's so, it's so not about actually him and, and, and what he's doing. And because we have these high expectations for him and we want these great things for him, uh, for him that because they're not happening quickly, we're kind of finding other things to talk about you know, because we got to figure out if he's going to get there or not. So, and, and what happened, the latest dirt sheet things about Keith Lee last week, and then the subsequent handicap match on Monday, I, I think was kind of another example of that. You're hundred percent right. So what Chris is talking about is it was reported that Vince McMahon was angry with the way his big men were working. So he sent a bunch of them to the performance center for classes two days a week. And among those names was Keith Lee. Well, you know, we'll get to this match in a second. But what's interesting about that, and I'm glad you did bring it up because I actually forgot to put a note down about it. There's a couple things. Number one, Keith Lee may have been sent to the Performance Center as an example to show the other large men what a really good big man wrestler looks like. Or perhaps there is something about Lee's presentation that Vince wants them to work on. Or they just wanted all of the big guys to go down there and all work together. Granted, Braun, I don't think, was on that list. But nevertheless, my point is made. So I don't really take much stock in a guy who lives in Orlando being told, hey, go into our training facility where you're probably going already a couple days a week to train for one reason or another. We're not there. We're not seeing what's happening in those sessions. We don't know exactly what they're all doing. So 
you know, I don't, I didn't really care at all about that report. Me neither. Me neither. And, and you make a really good point about everyone's concerns about Keith Lee so far being very meta. I mean, me included. When, when Keith Lee debuted, I said, man, this is a guy, he is legitimately one of my favorite. Like, top 10 dudes in all of wrestling, Keith Lee is on my list. And yes, when he first debuted, and it was generic music, and he was wearing all black, and he had a compression shirt on, you're like, man, they're taking away all of these things that, in addition to him being a great great wrestler, made him feel really special in NXT and then previously on the indies. And if, by the way, if you happen to see, there's an incredible WWE, I believe it's a 24 special yeah. on the network about Keith Lee. You you start to understand what this guy's about and why he's a guy who's so easy to root for. But the idea that all of those things means that WWE is going to ruin him on the main roster, I, I put ruin in quotes, it's ridiculous. And I think you saw that Monday night because in this match, did Keith Lee lose? Yes, he did. But he looked as dominant as I've ever seen an individual look in a losing effort on a television show. He he killed these guys early in the match. He kicked out of a super kick at one. He had a double suplex. He threw them into each other multiple times. And the only reason he lost is when Miz and Morrison, former WWE tag team champions, Miz a former world champion, Morrison a former intercontinental champion, I think, hit a flurry of moves on this guy. And it culminated with them chopping out his leg from under him both landing on top of him, getting a one, two, three, and then Keith Lee immediately popping up, uninjured, un- unencumbered from the loss, staring down at them angry about what just happened. This was also a true two-on-one match. It wasn't really a handicap match. Everyone was legal at the same time. I thought that was done on purpose so he could look as strong as possible while simultaneously getting Miz a victory he kind of needed before TLC, because he's trying to be a threat with the Money in the Bank briefcase, but all he's been doing, and Morrison as well, since coming over to Raw, and really since they got together, has been losing, with the exception of actually winning the Money in the Bank briefcase. So I can't say that I liked that Keith Lee lost, but I understood the booking, and I wasn't angry coming out of it. I just wish that in the le- in the weeks leading up to this, they had been putting Keith Lee against individual people so he could get strong wins. Like, yes. why not have Keith Lee versus Morrison last week? Have Keith Lee beat him in five minutes with a spirit bomb. And then you build to this match where he loses two on one. So my bigger issue is that they're making Keith Lee, they're making the mistake of, of assuming everyone knows that this guy's dominant and can take a loss like this and brush it off his shoulder. They need to show us that he's dominant every single week. It doesn't need to yeah. be jobbers and squashes. He needs to be beating legitimate dudes every single week so that when you do want him to take a loss for whatever purpose, that it doesn't, quote unquote, hurt him. I don't believe this hurt him. I still believe in Keith Lee. I thought this was as strong as someone could be booked in a loss. But, you know, Chris, and I'll let you talk here. The one concern I do have about him is I don't want them to book Keith Lee the way they booked Braun Strowman and the way they previously booked Big Show. I mean, still book Big Show when he shows up which is this is a giant who beats every low Carter and almost every mid Carter. But when it gets to the main event, he can't really compare. Yeah. Keith Lee is a guy who should be WWE champion. Right. The, the whole, it, it, they've been like, they've been scared. I, I feel like they've been scared to 
put Keith Lee in these situations. We've been saying it ever since he got called up is why is he not just racking up wins? He's he's right. in main event feuds. He's dealing with Orton and McIntyre stuff. He's we're told he's a threat over and over and over and over. But we're not actually shown that. And we like we know he's great, but he should be on there every week racking up wins. So when someone beats him, it matters. This is this has been I think one of the problems of the show is that it feels like, especially in the last handful of weeks, that it's kind of getting back to the show is just what we decide to do on Monday is just decided this week and we don't know what we'll do next week. And that the stories and the the, the booking is not as mapped out. Yeah. If you were going to have yep. Miz and Morrison beat him, why does Keith Lee not beat one of them last week? Like you have to set these things up over a couple of weeks. It feels like we're not building to something. It feels like things are just happening. So yeah. And, and you know, it was a handful of months ago that we saw Braun Strowman beat Miz and Morrison for the, you know, for the, universal title so you know there is something to compare to oh braun beat him and keith lee didn't i i really don't think this is that big of a deal like we said they just did a ww24 on keith lee they clearly have big thoughts uh they clearly think really highly of him and have big plans for him they're just we just i don't know why they seem afraid to put him in these spots where he can pick up some actual wins it's weird it is, it is strange. And just kind of looking down the Raw roster, I'm not going to name everyone, okay? Because some people like in Akira Tozawa, that doesn't do anything, right? But he could have a great match with Drew Gulak and get a significant win. A guy who over on SmackDown at one point was contending for the Intercontinental Championship. He could fight Elias and beat Elias. Grand Metalik is someone who he could, he could run with. Eric, who was established in Raw Underground as a heavy, hard-hitting type of dude, he could beat him. Um, any of the guys really from Retribution, Mace or T-Bar. I mean, we know what Keith Lee and Dominic Dijakovic, uh, Chris Dijak, I mean, whatever, whichever name you want to use, we know that they can tear the absolute house down. So you want to get Retribution more involved in the show. You have the Ricochet thing going on one. You have a Keith Lee feud going on another. And then they end up combining and win a tag team match over Retribution. Think about Keith Lee and Ricochet, by the way, like as a team, like, what that could be like on, it could be incredible. Ricochet could do his finisher off Keith Lee's shoulders. There's so many cool things. You have Riddick Moss, who's a stronger, larger dude who you can bring in. R-Truth, who can at least work with him. Shelton Benjamin, Titus O'Neil, Tucker. These are all guys that Keith Lee could have been beating week to week on television. So yeah, I don't mind this booking and we can get off of it here because we don't need to keep talking about it. I don't mind this particular booking, but yeah, if you surround it with... Keith Lee being established as a dominant force, a guy who should be going after Bobby Lashley and the United States Championship, and then eventually maybe six to nine months from now should be going after the WWE Championship, then it's all fine. But you know what's going to happen. They're going to come out of the pay-per-view. Chances are Keith Lee next week is going to say, I want another shot at Miz and Morrison, and he'll probably beat them two-on-one, or he'll beat Miz individually or Morrison individually. And then it's just like, what was really the point of that, Right. So that's my that's my kind of concern. It's that I love this guy in terms of his work rate, in terms of his ability. He can talk on the mic. He is he was a great addition to the main roster. But you got to use him. You got to use him properly yeah. as well. And, you know, I thought they showcased him well in this despite it being a loss. But you got to surround a loss or and r- losses with a guy like Keith Lee should be rare. You got to surround those with wins, not third wheel triple threat where he doesn't factor in, not disqualification matches with Bobby Lashley, victories. 
clean pinfall victories where this guy is hitting his finisher. All right, moving on. Uh, we had Matt Riddle defeat MVP. Talk about clean pinfall victories. Riddle hit the floating bro on MVP and beat him in like 90 seconds, I think. Then he dodged an attack from Bobby Lashley. So I guess, Chris, they're not going to be putting the United States Championship on the line at the pay-per-view because they did nothing to build Riddle versus Lashley specifically. Lashley, by the way, has defended the U.S. title three times since he won it in August. And two of those times were squash matches over Slapjack and Titus O'Neil. So what the hell are they doing with the United States Championship? Bobby Lashley looks as strong as he has since he's returned to WWE. They've done a great job building back up Bobby Lashley. But the United States Championship is the least relevant main roster title right now, second only to the 24-7 championship, the second least relevant title. And you have Matt Riddle, who, and I keep calling him Matt Riddle because I'm used to it, Riddle here. It should who, be Matt Riddle. I know, of course. But but they're featuring him more. Yes, that's very good. The comedy stuff you don't like, I think it's totally fine. It's within character. But they're featuring this guy. But you can't even, I, I guess you can make an argument that a 90-second win over MVP is okay. But give him five minutes. Let us see him work and then beat MVP relatively quickly as opposed to just a squash. It almost looked like it was a mistake. So I didn't love this. I do like that Riddle's getting wins and MVP's a totally fine dude to win. By the way, MVP, another guy Keith Lee could beat. Uh, But this just kind of felt like, why do we have a pay-per-view? Why did you do all this build with Riddle and you're not going to give us a title match? Yeah, no, I, I don't. Get it? They, they've made a comment at the last pay-per-view on the pre-show that the U, that the U.S. title hasn't been defended fairly at all, and they tried to say that there weren't worthy challengers. I, I don't get it. This is just like the Heath Lee thing. Like just just set up some matches. Do a number one contender battle royal or a or a fatal four way winner faces Lashley next week on Raw. Something just something. I, I don't anything like yeah. we're, we're putting this. We're putting the New Day and Riddle stories kind of as the bigger things. But then, I again, I don't know why there's not a match at the pay-per-view. It's just weird. Just do it. I like. I don't like. It's like we're trying to inch along to I don't know what. Just you need things to happen on your shows. And this is a theme all throughout Monday uh, when I was watching Raw and just for a lot of the things that happened, I just thought to myself, why? Why is this happening? Both why is it happening from a booking decision and why is this happening in kayfabe? Things things were just happening with no explanation as to why. I, I We'll get to some of that other stuff later, but this is, this is one of the booking ones where just why is this Riddle MVP match happening and not leading to TLC? I don't know what we're saving this for. I guess a Royal Rumble match, you can just do something. I don't know. It's just... Well, th- you, you think about two- stuff happen on your shows. Think about a few weeks ago when they had the Lashley uh, Keith Lee match, which we were loving, right? Like those guys beat the hell out of each other. Yeah. Two big dudes going at it. Uh, you know, true meat on meat action, as we like to say on this podcast. It was a great match. And the finish was MVP just running in. So that way Lashley didn't lose, but that way Keith Lee could move on to that triple threat match to become the number one contender. And you're like, okay, but why wouldn't you then, after Lee lost that opportunity, 
have Lee become the number one contender for the United States Championship since he never got a clean finish in that match. And then you build to that at the pay-per-view. And now, not not only do you have a great WWE Championship match, you have Keith Lee versus Bobby Lashley, which you know can bang, which you know would be a great opportunity for a title change. Just simple little decisions where I sit there and I just just question what they're doing. But all right, let's move over to SmackDown for a little bit. Uh, we had Bailey and Bianca Belair steamrolling a little bit more towards a match together. Bailey cut a promo backstage, wishing Carmella good luck, saying that she still runs the women's division and talking trash to Sasha Banks still. And then she crapped all over Bianca Belair while she was behind her listening, she being Belair. Uh, Belair said Bailey isn't cute. She looks dusty. Then she pulled out literal receipts to prove why she's the better of the two. I thought Belair showed great character here, a lot of personality. They're going to be fighting next week on SmackDown. Again, a match that, you know, I don't hate it being on SmackDown. That's fine. Build for TV storylines. Totally cool. But Bianca Belair and Bailey, that's a pay-per-view match. It really is. Like you yep. could have easily put that on the show. And I would have said, oh my God, I can't wait for that match on the pay-per-view. But no. Totally cool. I thought it was a good back, backstage segment and I'm really excited for the match this upcoming week. Yeah, no, I'm excited. And it's just, again, with a lot of these things, it's about pulling the trigger. Are they going to finally pull the trigger here on Bianca Belair and start shooting her to the moon? You know, right. when, when these people come in and they're new and, the, and they have these moments, you, you can't dilly-dally with them for too long. And then, because then, you know, they're not fresh and new anymore. And that's the same position Keith Lee is in. And Keith Lee has had more main event type stuff, but like, you know, we were frustrated with Survivor Series where Bianca Belair didn't go on some sort of tear and and, and look great. You know, she she fought back a little bit, but then there was a count out and it was over and it was all for Alana's story. So, yeah, I, I you know, I'm excited for this match. It'll be on TV, which, yeah, I, I guess technically more people watch it. You know, we'll see. But again, just is this going to be the the moment where Bianca Belair starts to get that rocket strapped to her. I hope so. Where do we, where do we get a schmaz finish again? Yeah, and, like, and then they fight again the following gotta, week and the following week. Yeah. You yeah. got to You got to start pulling the trigger on these things. It, it just, I keep saying this on with a lot of different stories, but like, it's true. We got to get moving here. Even going back to Keith Lee for a moment, think about when he debuted, right? He went right up against Randy Orton, fought Randy Orton, beat Randy Orton, had a pay-per-view match with Randy Orton. And I'm like, you know what? I don't care about the presentation of Keith Lee, if he's going to be beating freaking Randy Orton. And then as soon as that ends and there's the DQ stuff with McIntyre on raw and like, cause they didn't want to put him over. He just kind of not disappeared, but nothing else he's done since really has mattered. Yeah. He got another number one contendership opportunity in the triple threat, but he didn't beat Bobby Lashley to get it. He just won via disqualification. So it's like, okay, you have all these people you called up, start using them. Like Mm -hmm. think about when, Shayna Baszler got called up. She immediately had a WrestleMania match with Becky Lynch. She she dominated the Elimination Chamber, much to people's chagrin. They hated how that was booked, but they called her up. They gave her a big push. She got a WrestleMania match. Like, think about back in the day with Jack Swagger. They changed his gimmick, brought him back. He had a WrestleMania match. Like, they, they had goals, right? But they brought up, you know, Keith Lee, Matt Riddle, Bianca Belair, and they're all kind of just, like, biding their time a little bit until we don't know, like until it's a shoulder shrug, until they just decide to go with them. I mean, all the storylines that were existing are now over. You know, you had Orton and McIntyre. That's over. Lashley 
I don't even remember what he was doing. Uh, the retribution storyline with Lashley and her business, that's over. So why are these things not moving forward with these new people that you've brought in? It's Bailey and Sasha Banks, that's over. You can argue, yeah, they are doing something with Belair now that you know that's over and you're having her work with Bailey, which is really good, but she should be wrestling and beating people every week. We're just yeah. like we're talking about. So, so I, that's, yeah. the, that's the disappointing thing. So I, real quick, and this will apply more when we have fans in, in the crowd, no doubt, but I watched the, the untold on Goldberg streak that came out a couple days ago. It was mm. really fun. It was nothing, nothing new really. They didn't know, but it's just, I like watching those things and it was just, you watch it and you see Goldberg getting all this attention, all this love. And you remember it at the time and they're building him and building him. But like, it's it's fun with it's like oh this is what happens when you know wrestling realizes that somebody's really hot and they and they go with it and and they give fans what they want and they don't kind of again just kind of dilly dally around for a, a, a bit like Goldberg was a big deal and they made you see Goldberg and they made Goldberg look great every time you came and saw him we've got all these great people on the, on the roster let's see them do their awesome things because that's what we want to see we don't want weird intricate stories where things happen and there's tricks and you don't know just we want to see the awesome people do awesome things all the time just start doing that we got to just we got to go here Keith Lee hit a spinning back kick I think last night and Byron Saxon just was like oh my god right and you're like I want to see that every week yeah I want to see the moonsault no I want to see this to. guy I want to see this guy do what he can do and I want to see Bianca Belair beat the absolute shit out of a bunch of women that's what I want to see because she's great and she has that high ceiling. And, and the even when you bring up Goldberg's streak, think about how long they took to pull the trigger on Goldberg. It took a long time deep into that streak for him to win the United States Championship. And then eventually he you know, got Hogan in the main event of a Nitro, I believe it was in Atlanta. Yeah, and, it, it and, was, then, and that was something they just, decided, they just decided to go with it. Atlanta show, Goldberg finds out a few right. years before we're going with this. Still, but le- still, the streak was... We get to see Goldberg do Goldberg things, and it's really cool. Well, that's the thing. Think about the, but think about the streak. Think about where it started. The yeah. type of guys he was beating. Then think about how it escalated. Then there was a title involved. Yeah. I'm not saying you need to put Keith Lee or Dijak or Bianca Belair on a streak, but I mean honestly, Bianca Belair on a winning streak probably would have been really good booking. She's saying she's the best, yeah. right? Of all these things. Why, why isn't she beating someone every week? Yep. Now the problem in WWE now compared to WCW then is it's two rosters, it's split. A lot of women are out of action right now. You do have the women's tag team picture, so you have women doing other things. It is difficult to just kind of have her go on a streak. Really, two months, she's through the entire women's division on, sure. on one brand, right? So that does make it difficult, but you could even say, okay, you know, we're going to call up someone from NXT just to have them fight her because she needs bodies, right? They were doing it during the early part of the pandemic era where they would have NXT people or these random people come in and get squash matches. So you could kind of do that at least with just her. But the point is, I want them to be all be dominant. And I think WWE is not booking them poorly necessarily. They're not making Keith Lee look weak. They're not making Bianca Belair look weak, but they're not giving us the opportunity to see them be strong. And that is what is just as important as protecting them in losses is making them look strong the rest of the time. Yep. So that's the general theme here of this intro. All right, moving on. Riot Squad defeated Billy Kay and Natalia. Match was okay. The finish was really, really sloppy. The camera caught Natalia selling a hit from Billy Kay that completely missed. 
Ruby hit the riot kick for the win. The right team won. I mean, is there more to talk about? I'm glad the riot squad won over on Raw. We'll talk about a little bit later. You know, what's happening with the women's tag team picture. It seems like that's now getting revitalized again. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I like what Billy Kay's been doing, the resume thing. She's getting herself back into position and. Yeah, it kind of was what it was, but it's good, it's good to see her uh, doing stuff. Staying on SmackDown, we had Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura defeat Chad Gable and Otis. Gable tested Otis's blindside in a comedy sketch that was first posted on social media. Gable later cut a promo saying he would mold Otis into David uh, while Cesaro and Nakamura taunted them. The match was kind of fun with them working together. Gable forced Otis to tag him in late. He ate a Kinshasa and took the loss. Later backstage, Gable said the loss was a learning experience for Otis because he wasn't supposed to tag him in, even though Gable said that he should. That means that Otis needs to be an alpha and just go out there and win it himself. I like the dynamic between Otis and Gable. We've talked about it. They're real life good friends. I like kind of what they're doing to each other. Of course, yes, I want Gable to be involved in the mid card. I want him to be in the intercontinental title picture over on SmackDown. But as an interim type of thing to like reestablish his character, and clearly, you know, it's it's a, it's clear he's a heel, but he's playing a tweener character, at least in front of Otis. I just I think it's some pretty decent booking and I find it comical and enjoyable working with Otis right now. OK, this was my favorite thing of the whole weekend. <laughs> I thought this was absolutely hilarious. The training videos they did, Otis getting hit in the face uh, and then and then he's catching the balls. Really funny stuff. And then the then they give the promo and Gable Gable's talking to Otis and this is the most he has ever sounded like Kurt Angle when he when he feels like he knows what he's talking about and he's training someone else and telling someone else what they should be like like that that's peak kind of heel Kurt Angle promo and he says he's gonna so Gable says he's gonna shape Otis into Michelangelo's David and then Otis says Mister Angelo he's a good man. <laughs> And I died. <laughs> this was great. The match was great. Gabe, put Gable in with Cesaro. Give me 60 minutes. Awesome stuff. Uh, you know, I, I'm whatever kind of on Cesaro and Nakamura, just kind of in general as a team. I love Gable and Otis here. This is some of the, this is the, some of the, that was one of the best things I've ever seen Gable do on the main roster. I want these guys to be a full-time tag team. I think it's a great dynamic. Like you said, they, they work well together. Gable sounds confident in what he's doing now. I absolutely love this. My favorite thing of the weekend, honestly, and I really hope this can turn into something. I, I thought it was, I thought it was incredible. We talk about them needing tag teams on SmackDown. Yep, and, yep, you know, yep. I talk, we talk about it on Raw and NXT as well. And on NXT, they built the Drake Maverick and Killian Dane team. And here on SmackDown, we have Chad Gable and Otis. Gable, again, he's, his character's been revitalized. Gone is Shorty G. The whole alpha stuff is really smart, playing into the old gimmick. It just really does work. I would like them to be a tag team. My concern is if, they're, if you're going to make them a tag team, it would really be awesome for them to win the titles. And I just don't see them being the team to beat the Street Profits. So, you know... Do you use Ziggler and Robert Roode in that role? Then what do you have the profits do in the interim? It's really tough. One of the biggest issues with WWE right now is that there are two tag team titles. And we've talked about it for weeks upon weeks upon weeks. There's just not enough tag teams. There's even fewer tag teams than there are women on each show. But there's just not enough tag teams to really sustain two divisions. What it means is that all the other tag teams 
don't have a lot to do with each other if it's not about the title. And because of that, that's my concern. But I do love them. I do hope this is not like something that only exists for another three weeks. Then they break them up. They have a singles feud. Yeah, don't, wins, don't. And then both guys have nothing to do. I know. And, and know? that's what they're building toward. And honestly, there's a, there's an easy way to get out of it. And that is that Gable was building and building to turn on Otis. And then he couldn't do it because he really Because he surprises him how good he is. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and, he, yeah, starts, exactly. and he starts feeling a connection with Otis. And he decides not to turn on him. He's his friend. They're a face team and you go, I think it's just, I, I really re- just remember this. We've had this for this week or two now, a couple with these guys, December 15th. I really think these guys can be something special and I really, really hope they stick with it. Agreed. Now also we had King Corbin issue a challenge. Uh, Corbin said, Steve Cutler and Wesley Blake are the Knights of the Lone Wolf who have pledged their loyalty to him. There was supposed to be another Corbin versus Murphy match. I'm almost positive. They announced it, but they didn't. Uh, so, so they didn't have it on, on the show. So now I assume they're just going to be doing a six-man tag team match next week or something with the Knights of the Lone Wolf and King Corbin against the Mysterios and Murphy is the direction I assume they're going. You know, I don't really mind that, you know, the wrestling. You have to do things when titles aren't involved and, you know, you have to fill out your show. So there's nothing wrong with doing any of this. I'm glad that Cutler... And Wesley Blake, as we said last week, are getting an opportunity to do something now that the Forgotten Sons no longer exist. They were forgotten. Uh, But the one thing I don't like is that King Corbin is still King Corbin. Because when they did King of the Ring, I think it was now about 14 months ago, I love that they brought it back. Corbin, I thought, got over from it. Chad Gable got over from it, even though they called him Shorty J. Uh, He was great, and he he got a win on a great run in there. And I was really getting excited at the potential for them to bring that back and have Corbin lose the gimmick. But Corbin is now getting into that territory of like King Booker and like some of those others where it's a good gimmick and smart for them to do it with someone for a short period of time. But it eventually wears on you to the point where it's like, wait, why is he the king again? Oh, yeah. Two years ago, there was a king of the ring and he won it. So... I, I just, I'm ready for them to move on considering he's the lone wolf. And I loved that gimmick that he had when he debuted on the main roster and throughout his entire thing in NXT, him being a lone wolf and, and figuring out a different way to refer to these guys would have been so much preferred. A gimmick change for all of them together. Making them a group is a really good idea. Giving Corbin minions is a great idea, but the King stuff, it's, it's a nitpick. Maybe I'm just, I'm really it's tired. Not, it's not a nitpick. It's the whole gimmick. <laughs> it's, it's just, you know, it's like everything with Corbin. It goes on too long. I, I, I think it goes he, on too long. Yep. Yeah, I, I think yep. he's talented. I think he can do a lot of things. He just they put him in something. You know, he's a, a company man and they just run it into the damn ground. I I just I don't care about Corbin stuff right now. It's nice that there's more. It's nice that they're trying something different, but just you got to fill time, I guess. Sure. I just not that interesting. I just, you got to, I don't, I don't know how you don't have someone challenge for his crown, put the crown on the line. I don't know. Do something that's not just like generic boring stuff. Have him feud with Otis and have Otis just squash the crown or something. Yeah. I, yeah just have I, him break the crown. Try something fun. You know? Everything with Corbin just becomes boring because they just leave it and it repeats and yeah. whatever. That's what, that's what it is. I like Corbin. 
I like him as a wrestler too. I think one day he's going to be a transitional WWE slash universal champion. I think all of that is in his future, but they can't get out of their way with like doing things for four, six months too long with this guy. The feud should be, you know, if you want to have a feud two months, maybe three, if it's a long-term thing, okay, fine. But damn, like it's one thing to tell a long-term story. It's another thing for a feud or a gimmick to never end. Mm -hmm. This is something that needs to be ending sooner than later. Now, the other member of the Forgotten Sons, basically the leader of them, Jackson Riker, he returned to WWE television. Technically last week, he was apparently on main event, but this week on a show that we actually watch with Elias over on Raw. And to say that he's problematic considering his views, well, uh, go Google that yourself. You can yourself too. There's a reason the Suns never made it back to television, and it was beyond the fact that it was a pretty shitty gimmick. Elias and Riker each cut promos. Riker said Elias's music has led to his rebirth, and he was there to ensure there were no more interruptions. So right away, R-Truth interrupts, but it was interesting because R-Truth kind of decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to not intimidate or not try to uh, go after this big man. I'm going to be intimidated by him. So he stands there listening patiently. Before the 24-7 crew runs down, Riker ruined them all, and he had a strong sit-down chokeslam powerbomb on Grand Metalik. I hate, by the way, that Lucha House Party was over on SmackDown getting tag team title matches and getting pushed, and now they're on Raw running around like losers with everyone else. So, I don't know, this was a mixed bag. On one hand, the idea of Elias getting a heavy, it's kind of smart, right? Uh, On the other hand, that heavy is Jackson Riker. And they didn't even bother changing his name. And again, problematic views and him being on television. So it's like, okay, they're doing something here, but I don't know. Elias, like, I think he's talented in terms of on the mic. He's not a good wrestler. I don't find him to be very entertaining uh, in the ring. Off, on the mic, I think he's very good. If they want to make them a tag team and put them in the tag team division again to grow a division that is sorely needing talent, then I guess that's something. But I don't see this as a mid-card gimmick. I don't see this as something that works long-term. So I was just kind of disappointed. You know, I actually, I thought this was a more interesting creation of a lackey than with Corbin. Like there, there's there's something, there's like a reason. And it's, it's Riker saying his music is great and he's a cult fan, basically. So I don't know, I... I you know, you know, obviously, whatever you think of Jackson Riker, I think the idea is actually kind of interesting. Um, it, 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 in the idea that Elias keeps getting interrupted, and so someone's going to protect him. You know, it's not the best thing in the world, but I, I think it actually makes sense. And you know, probably won't go anywhere. But points for no, I, I agree. Points for trying. I agree that, that I think actually makes sense. I agree that it makes sense, and I like that he kind of said how the music changed him because they're really leaning into the fact that this guy has a, you know, LP out there. So that part of it was okay. The idea of him being there is fine. I just don't think it has runway. That's all. Yeah. I don't know where they're going to go. I mean, maybe, look, maybe I'll surprise us. We'll see. And then last year, before we get to our ultimate preview, we had Mace of Retribution defeat Ricochet. Now the action here actually really exceeded my expectations with Mace and Ricochet rocking this thing early. Mace, the former Dio Madden, has massively improved from when he was in NXT. Rick, he was able to fend off Slapjack and T-Bar. 
Then he kicked out of a strong sit-down powerbomb. Mustafa Ali then yelled at Mace to shut him down. So Mace hit a swinging type of side slam for the one, two, three. Ali then screamed that Ricochet, that it doesn't end until he joins Retribution. And T-Bar slammed his head on the canvas pretty strong. This is probably the most dominant and normal they've looked as a faction to date. Of course, it came at Ricochet's expense, which we don't necessarily like. But the truth is, these guys got to win if you want them to be a faction. And I think the fact that it was basically three on one gave Ricochet an out to lose. So do I want him to win? Yes. Eventually, what we need to have is Ricochet versus Ali. Ricochet beats Ali one on one. It's a fantastic, spectacular match and everyone's happy. But again, one of the reasons why all of this is so weak is because you have Retribution as a faction just going off one individual dude, going after one individual dude. And they're going after an individual dude who just was going up against another faction in her business. So it feels like it's almost the exact same story with the characters having just changed. Now, granted, Ricochet wasn't on his own when he went up against her business, but now he is because they refused to kind of put the same package together again, and they moved Apollo Crews over to SmackDown. So, you know, again, I don't know what they're going to do, but if you have a faction in Retribution and you want them to look strong, they need to get wins. And I thought Mace looked really damn good here. The other problem I have, Chris, and we'll kind of end it on this, is they went Retribution her business way too quick. Because if you have two factions on a show, which, yeah, both of them actually are factions, eventually the the culmination, culmination, the culmination of it is they need to go head to head. And they started with them going head to head and her business winning. So, you know, retribution, not any better necessarily, but did I think this was maybe one of their best moments since the entire group came together? Yeah, I did think it was. Yeah, I I thought it was fine. Like you said, it's weird that Ricochet's in the exact same position he was with a different faction. If I'd him, I'd be if I was him, I'd be worried that Dana Brooke might turn on me and decide to join Retribution or something. You know, it was right. um, it was fine. You know, the, the match was good. It's just kind of this is one of those where like you realize the point is to eventually get us to Ricochet versus Ali, and so you, you mentally you kind of know you're just treading water until you get there because week to week nothing is nothing major is happening so you know it was fine we'll see when they get there i'm excited for ricochet ali if we eventually uh get it and didn't have much of a reaction other than that yeah that will be a banger if we get that match now one thing i did forget to mention i meant i meant to talk about it off the top the wwe thunderdome moved from amway center in orlando to tropicana field in tampa and what's interesting is we were talking about it before the show you didn't realize the move had happened yet which i guess is the answer no, to the question, <laughs> which is probably the answer to the question I was going to pose. But in my opinion, ever since the move, which started on SmackDown Friday, and I wrote this note on Friday and I felt the same way Monday, for some reason, it feels like the energy level is down and it fe- it looks the same, but something to me just feels a little bit off. The other thing is, I thought that the build out at Amway Center really utilized a lot of the backstage components. You had that catering area, the interview area with the extra ring set up, all those things. Whereas now over in Tropicana Field, it doesn't really feel like they have all of that. So you're stuck almost ex- exclusively 
looking at the ring in the Thunderdome, you don't feel that there's as much going on in the general vicinity of the ring. So maybe that's just me and maybe I'm wrong, but I did want to kind of state that as an opinion to see if anyone out there, the listeners agree with me and feel free to tweet me, tweet us at getting overcast to let me know. But it did feel like the intensity and the excitement got pulled down, you know, I don't know, 15, 20% going from Amway Center to Tropicana Field, or I'm just in my own head about it. And maybe I'm just wrong. I Like you said, I didn't know it was a new set. I didn't know they had moved yet until I asked you right before we started recording this. And then, you know, I, 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 it did come to mind when I thought back to the Roman Reigns, Kevin Owens beat up backstage. I was like, oh, that looks a little different than I remember mm-hmm. looking. So I, I, I guess that all makes sense now. I, I, I thought the energy was down on Raw, but mostly because I just didn't think it was that great of a show with anything all that great going on. So I, I, I it's hard to tell because it's fake crowd and all that stuff. But um, right. Honestly, I, I honestly on that, I honestly did not notice a difference. I, I, I'll look for it next time. I just I didn't really know. You know, Raw did. We talked about it. It had a couple bounce back weeks ahead of the last pay-per-view and really coming out of it. And we th- I thought it was on an upswing. This wasn't bad. You know, Raw is not bad week to week. It was just mediocre. And I think SmackDown continues to be the stronger show. I didn't particularly think SmackDown was that great this past week. Yeah. But, but it almost gets the benefit of the doubt because most weeks it is great. Many weeks, not every, but many weeks, it's the best wrestling show, in my opinion, on television, which is a shock. You guys know I love NXT. I think AEW has put on a couple really damn good shows recently. So it's a shock to me to say it, but SmackDown for the last few months has been the most consistent show, but I kind of feel like they're limping into TLC a little bit. And that's kind of where we can go now. Let's pop into our main event, which is our TLC tables, ladders, and chairs ultimate preview. Now we're going to talk about this card momentarily, Chris, but I do want to kind of discuss it as a whole because most years when we head into this pay-per-view, it is overrun with gimmick matches. We have one to two TLC matches. We have a tables match, a ladders match, a chairs match. Sometimes there's a stairs match or a tables, ladders, chairs, and stairs. And sometimes there's just a WLC. WLC is a classic though. (laughs) Underrated match, by the way, very underrated match. Um, Sometimes there'll be even a gimmick that doesn't apply to TLC, like a false count anywhere, whatever. The point is, going into this year's show, it's really interesting because a number of gimmicks were kind of set up for them to deliver on. For example, a Lana match involving a table, right? Easy, right there for you. Uh, A match maybe involving a kendo stick, considering how many of those we've seen recently. A chairs match, all these things. We aren't going there, at least not right now. Now, maybe the go-home show for SmackDown will show us something different. But heading into this pay-per-view, there are only two stipulation matches, which I love. I love that there's only two. What I don't like is that they're the exact same match. You have two TLC matches, and they're both for the world championship. You have, obviously, Drew McIntyre against AJ Styles in a TLC match for the WWE title, and you have Roman Reigns against Kevin Owens in a... TLC match for the Universal Championship. It felt to me, and we'll get to the match itself later, but it felt to me like Roman and Kevin, they probably could have just made it like a chairs match and been totally fine having one TLC, one chairs match, and then maybe other, and another part of the show, they have a tables match and you're good to go. So 
I find it very refreshing that the pay-per-view is not overloaded with stipulations. But at the same time, I don't know that they made the best decision in terms of the gimmicks that they did choose in not overloading it. Does that make sense? Kind of, but I like the idea of a chairs match. I've always thought is kind of an incredibly dumb thing unless it's so obvious that a chair is like the the foundation of a feud or something. So so mm-hmm. we've got yeah, so you know there there's the bigger debate about having gimmick branded pay-per-views and the point of that and you know you think back to the days when you had pay-per-views just called vengeance and no mercy and bad blood and whatever and it's just kind of i i, I think the gimmick pay-per-view names are dumb and they've been dumb for a really 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 long time Forever. but that's not yep. changing yep. but that's just how i feel about it so given this current situation i think it's fine i i think I think it makes more sense to own, to have TLC matches as the only gimmicked matches on the show rather than having a chairs match or or something like that. I think a tables match is also kind of dumb because you always end up having to twist the storyline around an object to be like, oh, we're going to have a tables match because someone keeps putting someone through a table. I'd rather just do a TLC match because that's the pay-per-view and it's it's the biggest one. When you know you have a TLC match on the card, a chairs match doesn't mean anything. So I think it's fine if it's like Hell in a Cell. You're either going to have a Hell in a Cell match or you're not. So either you're going to have a TLC match or you're not. I think that makes more sense given the setup, even though I don't really like the setup. So the reason why I disagree with that, I, I, I appreciate that opinion. The, the reason I disagree is a TLC match inherently is a ladder match because the ladder is involved. Oh, yes, that, the title gets that's a, that's a whole other issue because it's not actually it's not actually a match. <laughs> it's just a ladder match. But you know, so that's what I'm getting at. So, yeah. so that's what I'm getting at, and that's why in a Hell in a Cell you can have a pinfall or a submission. You can escape the cell. You can stay inside. Whatever. In an elimination chamber match, you know it's all wrestling. You're going to get a finish in the middle of the ring. In this. It's a double ladder match pay-per-view. Now, yeah, again, there's going to be other weapons. That's what TLC is all about. But WWE this year, and NXT as well, has gone overboard with ladder matches. There have been so many, and I think it all started in March at WrestleMania. They had that tag team ladder match, then they redid it, I think, with the other members. They obviously had Money in the Bank, which inherently is a ladder match. Um, Again, you know, same thing. It's part of the gimmick. And then you keep going. And there were other ones on TV. There was the triple threat, which was one of the best matches of the year with Sami Zayn and Jeff Hardy. I'm forgetting who the third person was uh, for the Intercontinental title. Uh, and, and NXT has done like 100 ladder matches, including two for an advantage at War Games. So there have just been so many ladder matches that now we get into this pay-per-view, the final one of the year. And again, yes, they're TLC, but it's two more ladder matches. So that's what I'm getting at when I say maybe you do one as a TLC and one as a chairs match. I actually hate tables matches because Same. you win by putting someone through a table, yeah. which means you don't really use the table for the rest of the match, right? <laughs> yeah. So so I, I've never been a fan. And it also like, you can get a funny spot. I think it was like Big Show and Cody where Big Show stepped through a table and it was pretty funny. He, you know, he made yeah. a great face. But, but most of the time a tables match is kind of just a weak way for someone to lose without really taking a quote-unquote loss, like a pinfall. So that's what I'm getting at here. It's, yeah, man, it feels like it's forced 
to have two TLC matches. I, if they just did one and that was the only stipulation match on the whole pay-per-view, I would have been totally cool with it. But to do two and not do the other ones, not all of them, just one of them, like a chairs match or whatever, to me, that's where it gets a little weird. But to your larger point, I do agree with the stipulation name pay-per-views. There's two exceptions I'll make. I like Elimination Chamber because you have the Royal Rumble in January and whatever brand doesn't win that, meaning they don't go challenge for a world title at WrestleMania. I love the idea that you have an Elimination Chamber the following month and you basically say, this is how you either create another number one contender or it's a good way to have a title change ahead of WrestleMania and and a very exciting type of match. Yeah, no, it it makes sense. Like like Royal Rumble is obviously a great... Yes. Gimmick branded match and Elimination Chamber would fall under the exact same. Elimination Chamber falls under that. I preferred, always preferred, Money in the Bank occurring at WrestleMania and still do. I give it a break as its own pay-per-view because it's not a type of match where you need to gimmick build up to it, right? It's, hey, this is a centerpiece pay-per-view. We want to either create a a number one contender or someone that we want to push really is what it is going into the next year. So let's use Money in the Bank as a vehicle for that. We're still going to have title matches on the show, but Money in the Bank is going to be our feature attraction. But to your point, Hell in a Cell, TLC, I think those are the only other ones, if memory serves, and they've had others in the past. Those really, you're right, should just be Vengeance or Armageddon or whatever and surprise us. Maybe during one year, Vengeance has a Hell in a Cell, the next year it has a TLC and you flip them and you change them at different parts of the year because the Hell in a Cell... And, it, and all these other matches, they should be occurring as feuds demand, mm-hmm. not as the pay-per-view demands. It's reverse booking. It's the tail wagging the dog as opposed to the other way around. So that's why I agree with your overall opinion. But in this particular instance for this pay-per-view, hopefully I made my point clear as to why I personally feel like they could have been a little bit more creative in getting us there. They easily could have just taken Roman and Kevin and had them do a chairs match. Well, the thing is, I, I just I think a chairs match is the is the worst gimmick of a match like you can think of because it's like, oh, we've been hitting each other with chairs, so only chairs are allowed. It's just it's weird. Like if no, but you can get creative. You can hurt someone. You can trap yeah, someone's but head in one. I, I, you know, you know I, I, I honest, but they always they always do exactly what you're saying. They reverse book it to make the chair the focal point of a feud Understood. because you know it's going to be a chair. So in that sense, this honestly feels like the least gimmicked storylines coming into it because a TLC match is pretty simple and self-explanatory. And it's just, it's known as a, as a blood feud type match, as opposed to a chairs or a tables match. So it just, it feels like these are hot feuds and that, that that's why they wanted to do these uh, as opposed to working around a gimmick. So I, I'm actually more okay with it this year than I have been in the past, but agreed to, we agree to disagree on that. Yeah, we definitely agree to disagree on that one. Now, TLC Chris is a seven match card if I calculated it correctly, but we do actually have a title match coming up on SmackDown this week on FS1 that I thought they were going to actually hold off for the pay-per-view, but they're not. They're going to do it on SmackDown. So why the hell not? We might as well talk about it. Street Profits defending the SmackDown tag team titles against Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode. So on SmackDown this Friday, you had Ziggler beat Montez Ford one-on-one. The Profits put a, cut a pretty fun promo in gorilla position. WWE added some We Want the Smoke chants to their entrance. Sounded pretty bad. But they did finally get blue solo cups flying out of that machine. So that was a plus. Uh, Ziggler's promo I thought was hysterical. Robert Roode was pretty strong as well. 
the match just paused for no reason whatsoever with the Street Profits music hitting and solo cups filling the ring. And it really pissed me off because it just didn't make any sense in kayfabe or real life why that would ever happen. Just them dancing in the middle of the ring after the bell had rung and just more solo cups filling the ring. It just was stupid. Um, But once they came back from commercial, it was very cool to see Ford get the opportunity to wrestle solo. Rude attacked Angelo Dawkins outside that distracted Ford, who lost via super kick. Look, Ziggler, former world champion, no issue with that. And it gives a reason for this tag team title match to happen Friday night on SmackDown. They're on FS1. They decided to build it up strong. Maybe, Chris, that's why we're getting Bailey and Bianca Belair and we're getting this on SmackDown this week. That actually makes a little bit more sense now that I think about it. In terms of this match, though, what do you think happens? Do you think they do a title change or do they just stick with the Street Profits here? I mean, we got to get a title change at some point. And and I don't see any team on the rise that's suddenly going to do it. So so why not? Maybe they do finally do it. And I mean, really hope they don't do a title change and then a title change back on Sunday or something like that. But I would love, alluding to what I mentioned earlier, I'd love Rude and Rude and uh, 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 Ziggler to win it. And then that eventually turns into a Chad Gable and Otis feud in a few weeks or a month or something like that. That's just my personal opinion because of how much I really like what Gable and Otis are doing. But either way, I... I think I'm going to pick a title change because I think it's got to happen at some point, right? And I don't see it, you know, I, I think maybe they finally do pull the trigger now. I'll probably be wrong. Are you going to Are you going to steal? Is this, is this how this is going to go? Are you going to steal my thunder throughout this entire ultimate preview? Because that's exactly, exactly what I was going to say. I, I mean, we I need, feel like we, they, I feel like they have to do it. We need something to change. Something's got to change. We got to change things up. And yeah. And, Street Profits have been great. They don't have anybody yet who's in their league to to really take the titles off of them, but they've beaten everybody and they keep beating everybody. So maybe, I mean, I, feel, I think it's got to happen. It didn't happen on Raw. We th- kept thinking it was going to happen with, with Garza and Andrade and they just kept beating them. So it's certainly possible they just keep beating Root and Ziggler, but I'm going to, I guess, I guess I'll go with the, 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 the heels winning this time. I think there's a really good shot that we get two tag team title changes. Maybe, honestly, maybe even three. But I think there's a really good shot we get two uh, between Friday and Sunday. And I think this one has to be one of them. I totally agree. The Street Profits have held these titles since like March. March or April, I Well, forget. technically, but they've held title. They switched it raw to SmackDown, but yeah. They have not lost a tag team championship that they've consecutively held and continuously held since March or April, since the beginning of the pandemic. And I'm not tired of them because they're great, but you also don't need them to hold a title for a calendar year. They are totally fine operating without it and working from under. I think you need to build up more tag teams on SmackDown. They already kind of beat Cesaro and Nakamura. So who else is established that's left? I think it has to be Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode. So I'm with you, Chris. I think we see a tag team title change Friday night on SmackDown. Now, Moving over to the actual pay-per-view, we'll start with the Raw tag team titles. We'll keep the momentum going. New Day defending against her business. So as we always do, folks, we we talk about what happened on the go-home shows leading into the matches, and then we eventually talk about the matches and predict those. So on Raw, her business bullied a WWE crew member who was wearing an original bro hat and eating a bro nut. Riddle later said he wanted to hang with Jeff Hardy and New Day, so he entered with Hardy uh, they basically testing out the Hardy Bros gimmick 
maybe as a tag team. Again, weird that they're doing that while it seems like Riddle is on the road to getting United States title opportunity, but okay, never mind. We had a six-man tag team match, Hurt Business, defeating Jeff Hardy and Matt Riddle. Comedy at the start, serious at the finish. Kofi Kingston was set to hit trouble in paradise. Bobby Lashley grabbed his shoulders, just pulled him over the ropes. The action got pretty frantic. Alexander got a hot tag, hit Hardy with a blind V-trigger. There were a whole bunch of tag team rules broken here. I'm (laughs) criticizing AEW for it. I'm going to criticize WWE for it. They just kind of all went crazy. It was mayhem. Kingston splashed Lashley on the outside. And then Lashley, after being splashed by Kingston, just caught Woods like five seconds later, slammed him into the barricade. Lashley got a blind tag, but Hardy dodged the spear. Alexander knocked him off the top rope and Lashley pulled Hardy down off the ropes with the hurt lock for the win. I thought it was a really good finish to the match. A very exciting six-man tag team match. WWE's given us some really good multi-man matches recently, especially with the Intercontinental um, commemorative match they did for Pat Patterson on SmackDown a week or so ago. So this was really good action. I thought the Hurt Business got over as an entire group. And I kind of love this continued storyline of Alexander feeling himself and kind of his ego getting almost bigger than the Hurt Business as a whole. So for me, this was a big win as a segment on Raw. Yeah, and I'm always a fan of the team that is an actual team winning as opposed to a collection of random people. That's how it always should be. That's honestly one reason I was okay with Miz and Morrison beating Keith Lee because they're a team. They, a team should right. do people who are a team should beat one person. Three people who are a faction should beat a team of people who are not a group. So yeah, it, it it's kind of mixing multiple stories together, which is, which is, is good as well. I'm, to me, the riddle stuff is getting worse every week. They're going now. He's debuting three different bro puns in a show. We've talked about it every week. You like it? I don't. It is what it is. Uh, but yeah, it was it was good match and fine. You know, it, it worked. I think going into, it, it, I think it would have made more sense if we had a Lashley, you know, Riddle pay per view match coming up. But I, I think it did what it needed to do. Agreed. It would have been slightly stronger if there were two pay-per-view matches being combined here as opposed to just one. But that said, that's also typical WWE booking. And we say, hey, stop doing the same thing all the time. So maybe that's just because we're conditioned to expect that. You know what I'm saying? But Mm -hmm. in terms of this match now at the pay-per-view, New Day against Hurt Business for the Raw Tag Team Titles. Look, we've talked about my opinion that they've booked this a little bit backwards. They had Hurt Business lose multiple title matches only to then win the single matches um, to now get another tag team title match. So it's backwards, but the booking for this, it has to be to change the titles because New Day, number one, they never need the titles to be over and to be successful and to be exciting on television. The whole switch, losing Biggie, it feels like they're a little bit lesser as a team. And I actually think that might be purposeful. I actually think that they may be telling a story where New Day is better together than they are separately, at least from the tag team standpoint, which goes into that idea I had for WrestleMania about possibly Big E being the contender for Roman Reigns and New Day being there to back him up, just like the Usos are there to back up Reigns. But I digress. As far as this match goes, the tag team divisions need to be freshened up. I know that New Day just won the SmackDown titles on the draft show before now moving to Raw. And I realized that was all... I think in October or early November. So they just won the titles. Generally, I don't like to hot potato titles. 
but the Hurt business needs to be built. And MVP has talked about them collecting all the gold. You have Lashley as US champion. Alexander has been on a crazy good run. Benjamin's been looking really good. Chris, they got to change the titles here. I have the Hurt Business becoming the new Raw Tag Team Champions. Yeah, we're going to agree again, but you got to you got to take the thunder on on this one. Well, I wasn't going to let you do it to me twice. So. I, I, I yeah. mean, again, we have seen a champion team beat down another team several times, and then that's just it, and we don't get a title change. We've, we've seen that a number of times. But... Yeah, I, I think I think this is the way it should go as well. If if the Hurt Business loses again, loses a what third title match to these guys, that's the kind of thing that it's really really tough to come back from. I, I think again, yep, they did this backwards. It shouldn't have shouldn't have started the way it did. But given the place it's in and what these people mean, yes, we should have another tag team title change. It's been a lot of New Day and. Uh, Street Profits this year. I, I know New Day was kind of mixed, doing a bunch of different things and off and on. But we, we've had a lot of the same teams this year. Like we really need to uh, change it up. Same situation. Change the tag belts. 100%. Now, moving over to the mid card, we'll talk Sami Zayn against Big E for the Intercontinental Championship. So they had a match on SmackDown where Zayn defeated Biggie in a non-title match. And I'm just like, why are they doing this? Like, like I always hate when you give the pay-per-view match before the pay-per-view, and I know how it ended, and we'll talk about all of that in a moment, but I just always find that booking to be strange. Why would this you is, ever... Right. This is what I was saying, though. This, and, and we just talked about it before, and we're going to talk about it again with the women coming up, and there was just so many things on SmackDown and Raw that I just said, why? Why is this happening? It, I felt that over both shows, this is a, this was another prime example of I don't understand why this happened. Yeah, like if you're going to have them wrestle a 10-minute match, I don't even know how, if it was that long, then why can't you just give some of the other matches two, three extra minutes and then add it, make that backstage segment a little bit longer? Like you don't need to force these things. And it's just so WWE for them to say, hey, we're going to have a match on the pay-per-view. Well, hell, let's just fight now. <laughs> and then fight. And then it's like, well, why am I going to watch the pay-per-view? Yep. Just so that I get the opposite result. Like it, it's a joke. So, okay. Th- but I'm, I'm making it sound as if this was all bad. It really wasn't, but, but I'm just telling the mentality of the booking that I, I don't really like. So Sammy Zane's backstage and he is really freaking upset that he doesn't have merchandise. Big E on the other hand has new think big merchandise and mocks him. And then Mr. Langston goes ahead and drops this gem that will be on the Getting Over podcast as long as it exists. Don't worry about the shirt. Worry about the meat inside the shirt. So great line from Biggie. Thank you very much for the new sound drop. Uh, they basically argued back and forth. By the way, the Sami Zayn shirt that they showed, they are now selling that yeah. shirt as a limited edition yeah, on wweshop.com. The stick figure Sami Zayn says, I am Sami Zayn. It is now available to purchase, which is smart. And by the way, it's a great shirt also. So like if you are a Sami Zayn fan, you should own that shirt. It's yeah. really funny. Uh, and it's white. It's not a black shirt, which is just different. You know, I, I, every wrestling shirt is black. So something being, I think Biggie's is light blue. That one's white. Those are always cool to have a little bit different. As, some, uh, as, someone, they, who has, as someone who has dogs and a lot of dog hair in my house, I'm always appreciative of wrestling shirts that are not black. Being black. Yeah. 
so they ended up getting, you know, Biggie basically said, hey, let's fight tonight, whatever. So they fought. Uh, Biggie caught Zayn with a couple overhead back to back, belly to belly, I'm sorry, suplexes. Then later, Uranagi. Zayn led E on a chase around and under the ring, eventually winning via countout when he stomped on Biggie's head. So it may not have been a satisfying finish, but they're playing to the Sami Zayn gimmick, just like how he beat Apollo Crews and all these other wrestlers. Here's the thing. My original prediction for the pay-per-view was going to be Sami Zayn winning, right? Because I figured he'd get over on Big E via a tactic like this, and then they'd have a rematch shortly down the line on TV, and Big E would actually win the Intercontinental title, like on a SmackDown, which I thought would have been a really nice, fun booking thing for a SmackDown. But they gave away Sami Zayn winning via schmaz or whatever you want to call it, on TV. So now I haven't even come up with a, like a solid prediction, but Chris, now I'm kind of leaning into Biggie winning the Intercontinental title at TLC. So now that I've just finished talking about it here, Chris, while I was chatting away, sent me a text to tell me that this is not officially yet on WWE TLC. One of the problems with us doing the Ultimate Preview on Tuesday, ahead of what ends up being the SmackDown Go Home show, is that, look, WWE can add pay-per-view matches and we only would have basically 48 hours for you to hear an ultimate preview. So that's why we do these shows on Tuesday. So you have all week to listen to our preview of not only what we think is going to happen at the pay-per-view in terms of predictions, but the matches that we expect to have. The truth is WWE should have booked this well in advance. There was confusion about whether the SmackDown tag team titles were going to be on the show. Those are clearly going to be on SmackDown on FS1. Now this match, they had a non-title match on TV. So you think, of course, they have to have the title match on the pay-per-view. But looking at WWE's website, while I'm rambling here, clearly they haven't announced this either. So, Chris, we're going to treat this as if this is happening on the damn pay-per-view. If for some reason it doesn't happen on the pay-per-view, it's going to happen eventually. So you'll already have our prediction. So as I said, just to quickly reiterate, they already had the non-title match that Sami Zayn won through Schma's finish, through his countout, his chicken shit stuff. So my opinion is when they have the rematch, which I think will be at TLC, but maybe it won't be. Whenever they have it, I think you have to, at that point, have Big E win the title. So going back to the, the non-title match they had, th this is now twice that Sami Zayn has won via countout and he runs back into the ring. And if you're a heel, it's a great move. It, it's, on, it's the move you do in the video game. You know, when, when you're fighting someone who's really, really tough, that's kind of the sneaky way you win if you need to advance onto something. You, you, you take the computer bot outside, fight for nine seconds, run back into the ring, and you win by countout. So this is now canon in WWE. This is now something people can and should do. And I don't think that's good long term. I think it. I, I get why Sami Zayn does it. It makes perfect sense in kayfabe. But now it's going to open up the door as to why don't people do this all the time? Because it's really, really, if you think about it, easy to do. It's kind of like the answer. The answer is very simple. Most people aren't cowards. I. But I'm saying, well, a lot of the heels are. I mean, especially with the way WWE books it. But I'm, I'm going to make a comparison here to uh, a Star Wars thing, which which. I know you don't pay attention to or like, but in one of the movies in The Last Jedi, somebody takes their ship and they go into hyperspace. They direct it through another ship and it explodes. And so it kind of opens up the question of why don't why doesn't somebody just kamikaze a giant ship all the time if it's just effective? And they had to they had to write their way around it in the next Star Wars movie to explain why they don't do that. So I, I think 
I, I get that Sami Zayn does it. I think it's a little. I, I'm not sure if it now it is now that it is canon to do this in WWE. Why why somebody like the Miz wouldn't do this all the time now? But it fits Sami Zayn's character, and it's fine. I like Sami Zayn. I like Biggie. I like them together. I think Biggie wins whenever they fight each other. But now that this is in the atmosphere, that this is how you can win a match clean, technically, uh, I just that was my that was my reaction to it. It was like Star Wars. Sure. <laughs> uh, I, I uh, I'm 100 sure. By the way, that the next five matches we're going to talk about are all on the pay per view. I double and triple checked right now, but just please give me the um, the excuse here. Of, I'm gonna we have to blame it on WWE. They switch things back and forth all the time. They they seem to build things and never announce them. They announce things and take them away. I mean, the next match that we're going to talk about clearly was building, and one of the key people in the entire match now is not wrestling in it. So just all this random stuff happening. But before we get to that really quick, we were briefly talking about wrestling t-shirts. When's the last time you bought a wrestling t-shirt and what was it? Oh, I got to think. You go first. I got to remember what I have in the last one was. So I buy wrestling shirts once a year. I buy them on Black Friday because it's the only time every year where WWE shop does free shipping. And what I do is I immediately go to the clearance area and I see what is cheap. Because I don't buy wrestling shirts to buy like, even though I love the new Roman shirt, like Wreck Everyone and Leave and some of those, I don't really go out and buy the new shirts because I don't wear them. And right now there's nowhere to even go out to wear shirts. Plus, at some point, you're just going to have too many shirts if you just keep buying them, right? So I don't do that. But what I do do is, do do, haha. What I do is I look at the clearance, I look at the stuff that's on sale and deeply discounted on Black Friday, I go through them. I see what's available where there's still sizes above like medium, you know, that are still available. And I see if there's any I like. So the last couple of years, I've really gotten some great shirts. I've gotten some NXT shirts. I got the original uh, light blue DIY shirt last year on Black Friday. This year, I got a Sasha Banks legit boss shirt, which by the way, is my first female wrestling shirt ever. Uh, and I, the other thing I do on WWE Shop, while you're thinking I'm trying to give you the time here, is... They also have some type of like knickknack type of deals that you can buy. So like I got a mini Money in the Bank briefcase for $3. I got a mini uh, WWE microphone for $3. And I have in my office this like bookcase that I built into a closet that has sports memorabilia. I have, you know, autographs from like, you know, Tim Tebow and Michael Jordan and a ton of really cool stuff in here. Uh, Some Funko Pops and things like that. So I also have an area that's for wrestling. So I have like, Uh, The ECW World Heavyweight Championship, full size. I have some mini WWE titles. And I also have some of these little knickknacks that I bought. So I basically once a year spend like 25 bucks and I usually get like a couple shirts, a hat and some knickknacks and I just throw them around the house. That's what I do. That's a good idea. I've not thought to do stuff like that on Black Friday. I I haven't gotten a wrestling shirt in a couple years. I I had like a two year stretch where I bought a lot and now I just kind of have too many shirts. So I don't. I'm not really buying shirts of any kind over the last year. The last one I got was one of the one of the the Bullet Club Elite ones, like right before they broke up, like not long before AEW started. Uh, might have been might have been either the Young Bucks one or the Vigilante Club one, the the Stephen Amell one, because I liked Arrow, uh, the TV show. So I think that was one of my last. Of course you ones. did. But uh, it's been a couple years since I actually got a shirt. In general, just because I've been trying to cut back because I went on a, I went on quite a tear for about two years and I needed to I needed to cut back. 
yeah, I definitely. I, yeah, uh, but yeah, and that's a, speaking of like I said, a lot of those shirts are all black, and I can only wear them at certain times if I know I'm going to be out of the house. Because if I'm sitting around the house all day, it's going to just collect dog hair. And uh, yeah, so yeah, and, and that's and that's exactly why the shirts I buy that I buy like. The DIY was light blue. The Sasha Banks one's navy. So I'm not sitting there buying black shirts. That said, I do have a couple NXT shirts that I got in similar situations. Like they were on sale. They were all black. Um, they have the NXT logo on them. But again, that's just kind of circumstantial based on that. The only other time, by the way, I'll buy a wrestling shirt is at WrestleMania. I will get the official shirt every year. Um, but unfortunately, this year, did not get that opportunity. All right, moving on to the match I alluded to, the Women's Tag Team Championship match. Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax against Asuka, and now a partner to be determined. But we're going to get to that in a moment. We got to start, Chris, with Lana versus Nia Jax on WWE television, a Raw match where one year ago, if you told me I'd be watching that, I would tell you what the hell has happened to WWE. But on Monday night, credit where it is due, you had Asuka backstage cutting her best English promo so far on the main roster, building up Lana's confidence before the match. Their friendship is weird. I don't know why I like it, but I do. I had no expectations for this match. I figured it was destined to be an absolute disaster. It was not. Lana reversed a powerbomb into a hurricanrana. Then she escaped an avalanche Samoan drop, stomped Nia Jax in the chest, and folded her in half for the win. I legitimately laughed out loud. Such good shit. It was not half bad. Lana is really working hard. She's not great. We know this. But she's really working hard. Baszler attacked Asuka backstage. They ganged up on Lana. Baszler stomped her foot and they tried to break her ankle as she cried and begged for them to stop. She sold that shit like crazy. Asuka finally came in and cleared house. Chris, I don't get it. I can't explain it. I like the Lana Nia Jax feud. It's working. That's it. Yeah, N- N- Nia Jax is making somebody else look good in a match. <laughs> it's, it's freaking it's crazy. Happening. No, it's it's sometimes when you have the right fit, it's just the right fit. And you know, I you know, the way they finished it, it took a kind of extra second or two to get it going because Nia was just kind of standing up there for a while before Lana knocked her down. But in terms of a way in which Lana could pin Nia, it worked. It worked. And and honestly, honestly, the best part of it uh, was the beatdown. Lana sold the hell out of that. And she's like, she's like, she's like yelling, please don't, please don't. And you can hear her and it sounds real. And she's almost... She's on the verge of tears. I, I thought Lana really, because it's in the Thunderdome and we can hear them more and it's not a crowd, you know, that aspect of it really added to it. So, some some wrestlers just aren't good at kind of fake selling a beatdown like that or, or, or pleading, essentially. Uh, Lana really did a good job. You know, the, the match was a match. It was fine. It was what You know, did serviceable. But she really sold the injury and the beatdown really well. That really kind of got me. By the way, Miro had an incredible tweet uh, for those that follow him or or see his tweets anywhere. Um, He basically took a screenshot of the pinning combination. And he's like, I taught Lana that wrestling move last night. 
That's the most action I've had all year. So I thought that was funny. <laughs> uh, later in the show, Dana Brooke defeated Shayna Baszler. Yes, again, something I didn't think I'd be saying uh, in 2020. Just a couple minutes into the match, uh, basically Nia Jax pushed Dana Brooke off the top rope to force a disqualification. They attacked her the same way they did Lana, but Mandy Rose ran down to make the save with the kendo stick. Uh, Baszler eventually got up on both of them, so Asuka came in to make her second save of the night. Rose looked great, by the way, making her return, but this really confused things for Sunday, which is what we'll talk about right now, heading into this match. Lana was announced as out of the pay-per-view match due to injury. So one assumes that they're saving Brooke and Rose for each other. The idea that Nia Jax basically hurt Dana Brooke here and Mandy made the save, it seems like what we talked about for multiple weeks on this podcast, Mandy was hurt. They had to do an interim storyline before they actually get to Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke challenging for the titles, which was clearly the plan for this pay-per-view. So one assumes that they're saving Brooke, they're saving Rose for each other. So my guess is if they do a fill-in, it's maybe Nikki Cross, who hasn't been used much. Peyton Royce and Lacey Evans are together, so that doesn't really make sense. Charlotte Flair, I can't imagine them bringing her back for this, though Flair and Asuka taking the titles off Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler would be pretty strong. The other option is Naomi, who's been out and could potentially return. But again, I don't know why you would have someone return only to then have them lose the title match because it really doesn't make sense for Asuka or Flair or Naomi to have the titles. It just doesn't work, especially when Asuka is the Raw Women's Champion. So Chris, here's my prediction. I think ahead of this match, they're going to attack Asuka backstage. Therefore, neither Lana nor Asuka will be able to be in this match. I then think Adam Pearce on the pay-per-view inserts Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke as challengers. And therefore we get Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke versus Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax at the pay-per-view. And we see a title change in that match. I know everything we've we're talked about is title changes. I get it. All right. I, I, I don't think they're going to change every title. But if they go with that booking, which is really, Chris, what I think is going to happen. I think you see that title change and then you have Asuka with reasons to be challenging and feuding against Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, which is how this should have been the entire time. I actually think it'd be pretty smart booking for WWE to get back to where they needed to be while simultaneously figuring out a way to fill those TV storylines for four weeks. That's my booking. That's my prediction. You can tell me I'm wrong, but when that happens, I deserve a double Barry Horowitz, a double pat on the back for nailing it. No, I I think it makes perfect sense. Um, The problem is just, WWE doesn't do perfect sense all that often. So that's the problem. I, I think it's more likely some random person becomes her partner and and uh they lose and then Mandy and, and uh Mandy and Dana win the titles next the next day or a week later or something like that, and we get to the same spot. Um I've just I've seen it too many times for <laughs> for, for something like that to be the end result instead of something that makes sense like that. So um, I'm going to go, I'm going to say Nia and, and, and Shayna win, uh, at least on the pay-per-view. But do you think what I'm saying about Dana Brooke and Mandy Rose getting the title opportunity is correct? Or do you think Asuka gets a partner? Yes, I, I think, so, they, who, yes, I think they get a, yes, I think they get the title shot the next day or a week from 
a week from the show or something like that. Yeah, I, I do think. So you think they maybe? So you think they maybe scratch this off the pay per view entirely? No, 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 no. I'm saying I, I think Oscar gets a partner, a random partner, and then lo- and they lose the title and they lose the, the, the tag team match. And then whoever the partner is takes the fall, basically. Yeah. So I could see potentially them putting Dana Brooke in that spot just as like, hey, you know, Mandy, like they attacked me. I just I need to do this. They need someone having her take the fall, them beating her up. And then Mandy comes in for the save and they restart it. Totally feasible because they maybe want to they don't want to advertise potentially Oscar for the pay-per-view and not have Oscar be on the pay-per-view. I just don't think that's what's going to happen. So we'll see. But I do think it's going to be interesting to see what they do there. And I did like that they brought either way, no matter how the booking is, I like that they brought the storyline full circle, having Mandy and Dana now right back against Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. All right, four matches left. The SmackDown Women's Championship, Sasha Banks defending against Carmella. So we'll go to SmackDown. They had a contract signing. It made no sense whatsoever. Carmella held the contract backstage, talked trash in a badly, badly scripted promo, and sent her sommelier out to get it signed. Banks signed it with her stamp, which I love, and then blatantly, the contract said TLC at the top. But then she told Carmella for no reason that they should just fight that night. And Adam Pierce, who's in charge, who, by the way, isn't just protecting the wrestlers and making sure matches happen. He should be protecting the pay-per-view that the company is trying to sell in kayfabe. Just says, eh, sure, okay. Carmelo then cut a promo later while she was feeling herself promising to make Banks cry. What's the point of signing a pay-per-view contract to then literally fight nine days early? Zero point zero. So we'll get to the match itself, Chris. But maybe that's what maybe my head was swimming with Biggie and Sami Zayn, where I'm like, they had both of these matches on TV. Both of them are expected to happen at the pay per view. I just I couldn't believe that they were doing it. Yep. Uh, uh, again, an- another instance of just asking why is this happening? It, it just it didn't make any sense. I this whole feud I haven't I haven't bought into because it 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 started with sneak attacks is how it started, but then they they don't get physical all that often. It, it, it becomes them talking about uh, just who's prettier and really, really bad dialogue, which is it's just, it's just, it hasn't worked. And now there's a sommelier in there to do contracts. I, I don't know. It's just, it's been, it's been a rough, rough few weeks and then throwing a impromptu match on top. Maybe, maybe they thought they needed to get physical and that's why they did it. Like I said, They've been relying so much on weird promos. Maybe they said, oh, they should do a match. That'll increase the intensity for the actual match. But that no, you don't. that's not how this works. You're giving us what we want to see now. Why are we going to want to see it again? Just it's very weird. I don't get it. It is strange. So let's talk about that. We had Sasha Banks defending the SmackDown women's title against Carmella. Uh, Carmella had a new entrance as a shadow behind a drop cloth. And... Yeah, okay. It, it was really sexy. That's the most action I've had all year. It was. Uh, it was strange, though, because the shadow was, I think it was pre-taped because it was of her backside. <laughs> and then when they dropped the cloth, she was facing it. So either it's like a spotlight that comes from the back and does a reverse image, which it could not have been. I don't know how that would make any sense. Or 
it was basically projected onto the thing. So why go to that length of a drop cloth and the light and all that and then make it less real? I just don't get it. Her music also, by the way, is a huge step down from Fabulous, too. It's really it, quite lame. It, it, it is, but I, you know, if this is supposed to be a new character, I, I, I guess I appreciate that they're trying to give her something different that matches more, her, I guess, queenish type yeah. character. So it's just a step down is all I'm saying. It's just yeah. not as good. That, that's all. Uh, Banks entrance, by comparison, made her look like a massive star. I just couldn't really get that out of my head. The match was good. By the way, as expected, I'm a fan of Carmella in the ring. I think she's improved massively over the last few years. When they put the title on her and had her wrestle frequently, and she was also wrestling a lot on house shows and all of that, there was a massive improvement there. She's yep. she's a tier two woman on the roster, but there's nothing wrong with that because tier one is so strong. And by the way, there's probably four tiers of women. So the fact that she's tier two, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, she locked Banks in the Cone of Silence but the sommelier interfered and pissed Banks off, which led to a disqualification. Carmella attacked Banks in the post-match, shattered a wine bottle over her back while talking a ton of shit. I actually thought that she came off pretty badass in that moment. It did ratchet up the intensity for the pay-per-view, as you said, but the booking logic was all over the place. They could have gotten to that same moment and the same post-match in a much smarter and easier way. They could have just had her bring the sommelier and the, and the wine to the contract signing, basically celebrating her win as soon as she signed the contract and then having that attack happen, brutalize Banks, and now the intensity is there for the pay-per-view without the stupidity of basically going ahead and scheduling the match on SmackDown when you know it's going to be happening, happening nine days later. The other thing, Chris, that I thought was weird is all of that, the post-match beatdown, it really set up the opportunity for a stipulation on the pay-per-view. But they didn't do that. They just had her break a wine bottle over her, over her back. And now they're just going to have a normal singles match despite all of that intensity from there. So look, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there ends up being a stipulation added or it becomes no holds barred or something like that on Raw. I mean, on SmackDown, I'm sorry, on the go-home show. But all of this seemed to be, you know, poorly booked and designed, but... Credit where it's due. I thought Carmella and, and Sasha did a really good job in the match with the intensity and the ferociousness to kind of make me more interested in seeing the match on the pay-per-view. The, the, they can wrestle. We we know that. They can the, they can fight. They can do a lot of things. That's how this feud started. So to have taken it to weird spots with different people was just strange. And then... I mean, their match was a DQ, but it was one of those somebody's punching somebody in the corner too much. We got to ring the bell ones. That is just the absolute worst kind of DQ you can get. You're wrestling yep. too much. I hate those. It just it just sours something that, yeah, they got to a finish with the smash wine bottle and everything that that's pretty good. I just I don't understand the thought process in taking it to where it is. So, you know, so we get this match. Do, do, do we think there's going to be a title change at the pay-per-view? I I say no. I say yeah, so. no. Sasha retains. Sasha retains. I yeah. mean, you don't go through that whole thing with Bailey, have her beat Bailey and retain the title, and then just have her lose on. I mean, it wouldn't make any sense whatsoever. So look again. What, what have we said in this show? Just because we don't think it makes sense doesn't mean WWE won't do it. But I'd be very very surprised. I think Sasha holds the title all the way until she faces Belair. I think it's pretty clear that they're building Belair to be the one to take the title off Sasha. That's at least where I stand.
Yep. All right. Uh, tr- kind of a triple main event, I, I want to say, because Randy Orton against the Fiend Bray Wyatt, it's been built really strong. It's been getting just as much attention on Raw as the WWE Championship feud. So let's start there. It was promoted as a Firefly Funhouse field trip, which once they promoted that, I got really excited. I was like, wow, this is going to be awesome. I'm so excited. Like They're going to like travel in a car together. There's going to be all these antics and funny things. We didn't actually get that. Wyatt appeared in the ring wearing a Christmas sweater with the characters all at ringside. He was telling corny jokes. Um, Orton appeared on screen, said he got outmaneuvered by The Fiend last week, but it won't happen again. Orton offered to play hide and seek and dared Wyatt to come find him. And I loved Wyatt's reaction, like a little boy, basically, all excited that he was going to be playing games, but in a manic type of way. I thought it was really kind of good character work. Uh, So you had Wyatt find Riddle backstage. They made some jokes and then Riddle had Ramblin' Rabbit sign a carrot. Later, R-Truth was talking to Huskus the pig boy when Wyatt showed up. You know, I know you don't really like the Riddle stuff, but I thought all of this leading into what happened, we'll pause briefly. I thought all of this was really good. The the stuff backstage was really funny with Riddle and R-Truth. And I liked that Wyatt didn't just like kill them. Like he, because this character is not the fiend. Clearly, this version of Wyatt can be beaten. It's been out there. He, he can be not just beaten, but um, susceptible to being tricked and teased a little bit. And I kind of like that they played that off. I thought the opening segment with the hide and seek was good. And I thought this was all really good. I, I did. I did pop at the, Hey bro. No, it's Bray. <laughs> I, I thought that was really good. <laughs> right. so, uh, I thought it was good. It just, when it started and I was just, again, I was like, why is this happening now? I didn't know they were in the in Tropicana Field at the time. Are we supposed to assume the idea of him deciding to do a field trip was because they had moved? Yes. Cuz cuz Bray's not typically in the Thunderdome. He's typically off in the Funhouse and the rest well, that is. No, no not exactly because it's kind of been established that the Funhouse is an accessible place. It it, it was established that it was in the Amway Center that one time. When, yeah, when, with the mailman thing. Yeah. yeah, so like, it's just, it came, it just, it was just like, today Bray Wyatt's going to give us a field trip. And I, I feel like we could have, I don't know, like something happened last week where where, where Bray, I, I don't know, it just, it, it was, it, it worked, it, it was fine, it worked. It was just, I didn't, it just, it was just had a starting point where I didn't know why we got to, why he was doing that. I, I think it was, you know, it was funny and everything. It was just weird how it, started and why it was happening but at the time again i didn't know they moved thunderdomes i I guess if we want to say that's it but it just it felt a little random to me no that's i mean they said it they blatantly said it on commentary like i think tom phillips like clarified like oh the field trip from the emily center to the to the tropicana field like yeah i guess that was the that was the purpose of it yeah like i said i didn't know that at the time but I, that's why I wanted, to but that's it. why I thought that's why I thought it was going to be like a road trip in a car. Yeah, no, I it was all going to be fun and like, yeah, I, I, yeah, and like Alexa, like Alexa would be sitting shotgun and the characters would pop up between well, them. Like that's kind of what yeah, I expected. It, you know? it, it should have started. It should have started the show is, and then throughout yes. the show, Bray's stopping yes. at different spots throughout the whole stadium to show us things. That's what it, it should have been. Now the second part of this was Wyatt, you know, after he had the comedy stuff, he eventually came across an empty chair rocking in a dark room. He sat down, Orton attacked him from behind, beat the shit out of him, locked him in a wood case, and then set it on fire. This is a great callback, of course, to the prayer shack 
and their previous feud. After a minute, the fiend broke open the top and locked the mandible claw on Orton, slamming him into a garage door and knocking him out. So you kind of wonder, Chris, what's this going to be on the pay-per-view, right? It seems like a regular match doesn't fit, but it also seems like that's what they're doing. Could they potentially do a false count anywhere? Yes, and I actually think a false count anywhere would be the right booking for this. Yes. But again, that was the go-home Raw. They didn't announce it. They could just do it Friday during SmackDown, say that it's been changed on Saturday or Sunday, or at the beginning of the pay-per-view, tell a little story and then get there. But I have a feeling it's just going to be a regular match. And we've talked about it numerous times on this podcast, on every show I've ever been on. You can't have The Fiend be in a singles match and have him lose. By the time you get there, I mean, you can eventually. You know, one day someone can beat The Fiend. We know that Goldberg already did, and we're going to try to put that in the back of our minds and forget it. But someone like a Roman Reigns, right? Or a Braun Strowman given the appropriate situation. These other people, they can beat The Fiend, but you can't really have a Randy Orton beat The Fiend. It kind of would bury him. So you have to have The Fiend win. I don't think Orton necessarily gets hurt by the loss because he has just been so strong all year. It is difficult coming out of losing to McIntyre to then lose to The Fiend. It kind of does degrade his character overall after being maybe the wrestler of the year for the first like 10 months of the year. So that's rough. But I think Wyatt wins. Orton takes a little bit of time off, maybe comes back in the Royal Rumble, and I think then restarts his feud with Edge heading into WrestleMania. Yeah, I, I think Fiend wins. Orton, if, if Edge is coming back, he can come back. You get them right back together. They're fine. Randy's fine. I don't know what the match will be, how it'll play out. But I, I got to say, the way this thing played out on, on, on Raw, I just, I, I don't get it. One, so there's just, and if I'm wrong on something here, let me know. But apparently there's just this coffin-like box just in a back room at Tropicana Field, and there's... Uh, did Randy bring the gasoline with him into the stadium for the purpose of doing this? He set it up. Yeah, he set it up. So, He's a cyclist. Okay, that's fine. I Okay. Rand- Randy then, Orton is a but, piece but of then, shit. Like, no, you have to remember, no, Randy no, Orton, the, the guy, but the, the wrestler, is a piece of shit character. Like, he wants okay. to burn the fiend alive. Okay, that's fine. I accept it. I got it. I just, I wanted to talk it through. Rand- it. Randy Orton, this uh, isn't, this isn't like the top 10 worst things that Randy Orton, the wrestler, has done. No, I know, I know. And this is going to be the next thing. <laughs> he know? just tried to burn Bray Wyatt alive in commentary, barely had a damn thing to say about it. He's putting the gasoline on the box. The only thing you can hear is Byron Saxton kind of mumbling or whispering. I don't know why. And then, uh, it, then it lights on fire. There's no reaction. And then they're whispering like something like, wow, can you believe Randy Orton? Why are you not freaking out? He's trying to kill this person. Why, why is this <laughs> not a big deal? I was so confused by the moment. I love the idea. I love the idea that he's trying to burn him and then, and then the fiend shows up and it's a great idea and, and whatever and execution. Sure. Commentary was nowhere to be seen, but, but they, they weren't out of it because they didn't make comments like this is a situation where Jim Ross is saying, oh, my God, he's going to kill him. What's he doing? Like, you got to make me like you got to build. Agreed. I have no idea what in the world commentary was doing. It was it was it made no sense whatsoever. I was I was just like, we're just we're just going to uh, attempted murder here. He's not even going to get nary a reaction from commentary. Just super confusing. Yeah, it seemed like they wanted to lay out and kind of let it play for itself, the scene. But you're right. You can't do that. And then when you come back, you want if even if you if, if commentary is speechless, 
Then after it's over, you go to commentary, like a shot of the three of them. And you have them look at each other like, what did we just see? Right. You, you have them sell yeah. it in some way. So you're totally right. I did think they failed in that regard. But I, I liked I liked the booking. Like, I, yeah, I no, liked I like the idea. I, like, I, agree. I liked the booking. I just, yeah. It was just weird. Yeah. No, that's fine. Uh, Wyatt wins, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, the double main event, the true double main event, we'll start with the WWE Championship in a TLC match. Drew McIntyre against AJ Styles. Again, we'll talk about Raw. Then we'll talk about the pay-per-view. Uh, the Miz read a Christmas story about TLC with John Morrison dressed as Drew McIntyre acting with AJ Styles. I thought this was pretty funny, all things considered. That immediately went into AJ Styles versus Sheamus in a match that was pre-announced. Almost caught Styles as Sheamus tried to powerbomb him through the announce table. After that, and they, I think they came back from commercial, this thing really picked up again. Sheamus escaped the calf crusher, hit white noise. Then after escaping an avalanche white noise, Styles took out Sheamus's right leg and folded him up for the win. Not that dissimilar, by the way, from the Keith Lee finish and not that dissimilar from the Lana Nia Jax finish. This one happened first. I didn't actually put it all together until literally right now as I'm talking about it. But we talked about all those roll-up finishes uh, the last couple of weeks. We got three fold-up finishes all in the same show. Again, just be more creative. It didn't bother me in the moment. So maybe it's good that I didn't notice it. But now that we're talking it through, I did remember it. Uh, I liked, by the way, that almost intimidates, but doesn't really interfere. Like he doesn't punch someone yeah. or choke slam them or he's just there to kind of be a heavy and make people think twice about going after Styles or doing one thing or the other. I also really enjoyed this match and the finish. Styles winning on his own was very important ahead of a WWE title match. After the match, Sheamus got caught up with his feet in the bottom ropes and Styles beat him with the chair. This sold Styles as a heel. It also aided in Sheamus's face turn. It also, Chris provides Sheamus with a reason to potentially challenge McIntyre as he didn't save him. McIntyre did not come out and save him. It, you know, either way, it worked. Good booking all around. We'll talk about the main event of Raw in a little bit, but I was pleased with how they opened the show. I, I, honestly, hey, friend, why didn't you come out and save me? Should should be brought up quite a bit in these uh, situations because it happens quite a bit where the, where the good guy champion just doesn't save his friend who's getting beat up for him. No, it was good. Good match. I mean, the, the match was 30, the first 30 minutes of the whole show. Um, really enjoyed that. I guess if we wanted to talk about the, did we want to talk about the opening skit in this? Or are we waiting for that? I mean, I just think it was really funny. We I thought it was it hilarious. I thought Morrison yeah. was hilarious doing his Scottish accents and getting stabbed, and and Miz is reading the book, and then and 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 then it you know AJ becomes the champion, I think, or something in the book. But then Miz becomes the champion in the book, and they get mad. I thought this was really creative. This is something I think would have gone really over really well with with a with a crowd there. Um, I, I thought it was. I really. I, I said it last week. I really like this dynamic that the money in the bank is hanging over this title match. I, I think it really adds something to it and, and should be more, you know, frequent when this happens. So I, I, I thought the opening skit was really funny. Credit to Morrison again, who is just really good at that stuff. Uh, and then the match was good. And I, I think it all makes sense and, and sets it up pretty well. And uh, yeah. I'm also fine with money in the bank hanging over it, but I will say I do prefer when money in the bank is cashed in out of nowhere where it's sure. truly a surprise. The person runs down. You're like, oh my God, they're back. And then, because you want that feeling of like, oh yeah, wrestling, right? Like 
Anything can happen at any time. That's why the Money in the Bank briefcase is great. And it's why it was such a bad decision. I'm not going to detail it, but it was why it was such a bad decision to put it on Otis because that never was going to work with him. And even though they had it on him, he never really threatened with it. In fact, most time, it just didn't exist. Like it, it didn't matter that it was still in the WWE, not the universe of the fans, but like the, the, the universe of their kayfabe, right? So I love that Miz has it and it's getting integrated and more involved. And I do agree with you. I love that it's such a huge part of this storyline build because Drew McIntyre has been built so strong that even though we know AJ Styles is a legitimate challenger, we probably know that Styles isn't going to win. So we think, well, how could it happen? The Miz. The Miz could help. Or even if McIntyre does win, hey, the Miz could cash in afterward. So, you know, we'll get to that, the match in a second. But I, I agree with you. I, I'm glad it's part of this, but I also hope it is not cashed in. The title ascension ceremony is what was the main event of Raw. Styles basically called McIntyre stupid for accepting a TLC match despite never being in one before. And McIntyre said that he's learned it's more important to retain the title than it is to win it. And he'll do whatever it takes to keep the championship. Styles made McIntyre realize it may not be as simple as beating him one-on-one. -on -one. As Miz and Morrison attacked from behind, McIntyre hit a Claymore on Miz, hit another on Morrison through a ladder, and then hit the Glasgow kiss on Styles. Almost chucked stairs into the ring to prevent a Claymore on Styles. Again, interfering, being part of it but not actually getting his hands on people, just being the heavy, a guy looking out for Styles' backside, basically. Styles then took out McIntyre's knee, ruined him with a chair. He finished by climbing the ladder and elbow dropping McIntyre through a table. So a lot happened here. I don't think it was bad by any means. I want to be very clear. But it did feel very formulaic. You know, instead of doing a contract signing, they did a title ascension. And... They got all of the weapons what, what involved. Is what, 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 what is a title ascension? This is another. This is another example from a show where I say, "Why is this happening? What does this mean?" It's not the title's not going to sit there for a week. You know, it's not going to sit up in the trop Tropicana Fields for a week until they come get it on Sunday. Like, I, I don't presumably it is. I don't understand what this was. What the point of this was? That's what it was. It was. It was presumably the title being held. Uh, away from McIntyre until their title match. It was, so I mean, I, I think they're going to hang up there during SmackDown too. I guess I, I just—it's weird. I, I, they, don't I, explain, they don't explain that. Just say so. Is Drew not going to walk out with the title then on on Sunday, or is he now because AJ went and he should not. Him? He should not. He should not. Agreed. Yes. I just—they don't. We'll make, see. They don't make these things clear. It's just—it's—it's it's weird. No, right? Because like, if it's ceremonial, then that's stupid. Because I mean, I know they've done this before. They have done it before. But if it's ceremonial, it's stupid. If it's not ceremonial and it's literally up there in the rafters and McIntyre doesn't have it when he walks out, that's really smart. But then do you have McIntyre walk out with, you have your champion walk out without the title. Right. I, I don't know why you would do that. Right. So I, I agree with all of that. Um, I think it's a stupid from a conceptual standpoint, but in terms of what actually happened, again, it just felt very formulaic and forced, you know, oh, we have a stipulation match. Let's use all the weapons. Oh, it's a ladder match. Let's make sure the challenger is on top of the ladder with the title. You know, it doesn't always have to be that way. That's what it was. Okay. Uh, so as far as the match goes, look, um, you know, we can talk about whether we think there'll be a cash in, but ultimately, like, it's very simple. Drew McIntyre won the title previously, lost it to Orton. We thought Orton was going to have a long reign. No, McIntyre won it back. It doesn't really make any sense to change the title. It doesn't make sense for Styles to win it. 
It doesn't make sense for The Miz to win it. So McIntyre retains. I think he just looks really strong beating up all the guys. Simple yep. as that. Yep, McIntyre wins. And I, but I, I think this is, it'll be done in a way, this is done in a way that I think um, it's not as, you know, he'll, he'll overcome the odds. He'll beat AJ, he'll beat off Miz trying to cash in, I'm sure. I'm sure Morrison will be in there. I, I think Sheamus maybe comes in and makes a save as well uh, for, uh, on, on one of those. Um, but I, I think it makes sense. You know, hey, AJ got this match because it was a number one contender tournament type thing. They should do those a lot more often. This isn't a blood feud. You know, it's it's just a competition type thing. And, and I, I think uh, I think it's been a pretty good story. But I think I, I think Drew gets to win and, and and looks good doing it. Yeah, I think that is definitely the case. The question really is, man, where do they go next for the WWE title? But we can talk about that in our instant analysis immediately after TLC is off the air. And we can wrap up with the Universal Championship, Roman Reigns against Kevin Owens. And dude, right off the top, let me tell you what this match is going to be all about. This is going to be great. I, I'm just telling you right off the top, I am all in for this match. I'm all in for it being the main, main event. TLC, not TLC. Doesn't matter. The intensity is there. The storyline is there. On SmackDown, Jay checked with Roman to make sure he was doing good. Roman did the same and said Jay should be doing good because he's with Roman Reigns. Uh, Jay asked to go after Kevin Owens, who was throwing tables, ladders, and chairs into the ring. Reigns said, go for it. KO said he's still not scared of Reigns and that he doesn't fight his own battles, but KO does, since he doesn't have family in the industry, just his friends, the tables, the ladders, and the chairs to help him. Jay attacked Owens from behind and injured his knee, but KO fought back, hit a pop-up powerbomb, threw a table, pretty good spot. Reigns came out to attack KO, but Heyman convinced him to do things on his own terms and not give in. KO limped to the back with a chair. He was incensed. Reigns attacked him from behind, brutalized him, and addressed his family through the camera, saying they had to talk some sense into him or Reigns would end his career and take the food off their table. Holy crap. Strong stuff. Start to finish, Chris. We'll talk about the match in a moment. I am all in, as all in as anyone could be, on Roman Reigns versus Kevin Owens. Yep, 100%. It's been a great story of Roman thinks he's above Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens is fought his way in enough to annoy Roman, uh, sending him to a place that he hadn't, hasn't been yet. But then there's Paul Heyman to, to pull him back to say basically what he did with CM Punk, which was, Hey, you know, you're the champ, you know, we don't, he doesn't set the rules here. You set the rules. Don't stoop to his level essentially, which I think is, is a great sidekick role to calm him down when Roman's madder than he should be. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's just it's been building every week. Roman's getting more and more and more pissed off. Um, it's Kevin Owens. It's 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 this Roman Reigns. You you know it's going to be good. These guys have delivered. No doubt about it. As far as the match goes, look, I mean, we say it all the time. Sometimes predictable things are good. Sometimes predictable things are good. And I don't necessarily mind Reigns and McIntyre walking out with the titles because. They're both really strong champions and they're both relatively new champions, especially McIntyre winning the title back. So I guess maybe the better question is how far do they go in this match? Meaning 
how much work does Owens get on Reigns? How much does he actually test him? And it's interesting because Reigns, despite being a dominant champion and a dominant presence, dominant character, he hasn't really dominated his title matches. Like both matches against Jay went to basically the the wire. Like Jay got a lot of offense in on Roman Reigns. And as a heel, generally, that is what you want from a heel champion. You want the faces to look really good. So, I mean, the prediction is that Roman Reigns wins and retains the title. I don't think that's much of a surprise. Yep. But on a larger scale, I think Owens really gets put over here to the degree that he has been kind of swimming in somewhat a pool of mediocrity ever since he came back from his COVID absence. Not that he had COVID, just he was protecting himself and his family and not going to WWE until they were testing and until it was right. And even when he came back, he was mostly just doing the KO show and like occasionally being in matches and occasionally losing matches that he was in. I think this reestablishes Kevin Owens as a dominant wrestler, a dominant personality, someone who's a threat to win an intercontinental title. Uh, And honestly, coming out of it, there's even a potential that he turns heel eventually down the line. So frustrated that being this good guy, this family man that he's been talking about, by the way, on television ever since he returned, that he's trying to do things the right way, not turn on his friends, all this type of stuff. I think it puts Kevin Owens in a really strong spot. And I wouldn't be surprised if Owens comes out of this, not as a heel, you know, on Sunday, but developing as a heel through the end of the year, where maybe Biggie does win the IC title. And maybe we get a Big E versus Kevin Owens feud for that mid-card title that Owens eventually wins. So that's kind of how I'm looking at this match, how I'm kind of bookmaking the match. I expect it to be long, strong. I expect Owens to get a lot of stuff in. We saw him in that WrestleMania match with Seth Rollins where they just went all out. I expect to see that exact same level of intensity from Kevin Owens with the difference being that Roman Reigns retains the title. Yeah, I, I mean, Roman. Roman's going to win this, no doubt. I, I think it's okay that Roman doesn't dominate his his um, championship matches. I mean, he hasn't dominated many matches. He hasn't had many matches because he's kind of a special attraction guy when he gets in the ring. But but he's Roman Reigns. Like we, we like we know who he is. He's a heel, but he still has everything that comes with it. It's he still has those WrestleMania main event wins. He still has those Royal Rumble wins. Everything you know, the Undertaker win. He is an established top guy. It's okay. He he doesn't have to dominate wins to be viewed as a dominant guy. Just his presence kind of always is that. But this this will be another one back and forth, hard fought affair. I'm sure there'll be some moments where we think they're going to get us. You know, that, that McIntyre Roman match blew us out of the water and we know Kevin Owens can deliver on that level too. So I'm, I'm really excited to just really excited to see how it comes together. Long, uh, longer term Kevin Owens, you know, He's always more naturally a heel. You know, we had Paul Heyman tell him a few weeks ago that, you know, basically you're a, you know, you're a jerk and everybody knows that and everybody knows you're going to do that. Um, you know, face heel, he's he's obviously more natural as a heel, but I think he does get that working man's face down pretty well, like he did against Seth Rollins. Um, maybe it's the IC Title, I don't know. I, I think we're probably heading into Roman Reigns versus Daniel Bryan at Royal Rumble, but maybe Kevin Owens does such a great job they changed their mind. I don't know. We'll see. But Roman's going to win this match. It's going to be a heck of a match. 
I'm really excited for it. Completely agree. Now, you're going to be able to hear us talk about everything that happens at WWE TLC Tables, Ladders, and Chairs Sunday night as soon as the pay-per-view goes off the air. We will have an instant analysis WWE TLC podcast ready for you Sunday night, possibly very early Monday morning. Just depends when we finish recording, I finish editing, and get it uploaded. But you do not want to miss that. Our instant analysis are some of our listeners' favorite podcasts. And for those of you who are listening for the first time, new subscribers, I just want to make sure you don't miss those. Chris, we've also, on the way out here, we've been talking about WWE pay-per-views really ever since like, I don't know, the summer, early summer, they've been nailing their pay-per-views, some better than others, but really no pay-per-view worse than a B uh, from a great standpoint from then till now, some of them shocking us at how good they are. This is another pay-per-view where we're going into it. We kind of discussed it here on the Ultimate Preview. There's some confusion. The Sasha Banks, Carmella storyline, the Biggie, Sami Zayn storyline. We don't even know if that will be a match, the Intercontinental title. Some other things that are just kind of wonky. But once the pay-per-view starts, I'm going to be very excited about it because you're talking about very high match caliber. Reigns, Owens, Styles, McIntyre. Again, Banks, Carmella. Carmella, you may not love her, but she's not a tier four wrestler. She's a, she's a tier two wrestler. And if we do end up getting Biggie and Sami Zayn, that's going to be exciting. And we already know that New Day and her business as a tag team match can be exciting. So I think this has a uh, opportunity to over-deliver as a pay-per-view. Like my excitement level going in is probably a B, like because I, I know it can be good, but I don't necessarily know that it will be. But I think we could be walking out Sunday with an A pay-per-view. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking B plus here. I, I mean, I like Survivor Series more than you did. A, a big factor is how do we feel coming out of it at the end? If, if, we, if, if Roman Reigns, Kevin Owens is the last match I have to imagine it probably will be. Um, I think there's a really good chance we come out of that doing the doing the incident analysis feeling really good. Um, it, it's you know the, the women's tag. We'll see Bray Wyatt versus Randy. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Fiend versus Randy Orton. Honestly, I don't have high expectations for that because Randy Orton matches are just generally letdowns. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Hurt Business New Day should be. Pretty good, I think. So I've got, but but we've seen it a bunch. I've got B plus expectations for this, but I certainly think it's possible that we can get into that A range. Yeah, I, I want to clarify. My expectations are a B. My, my, what I think could happen is it can deliver to an A level. Like, yeah. I just think it has that ceiling based on the card as it's been built. So we will see. We will also have a pre-show poll on our Twitter account at Getting Overcast and a post-show poll on the same Twitter account. So make sure to vote in those to let us know what your expectation and what your final grade is for the WWE TLC pay-per-view. By the way, do not forget to follow us on that Twitter account at Getting Overcast because all week long, we will be asking for nominations for our year-end awards and you can give them to us by replying to those tweets. Also, don't forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love this damn show. Every single rating and review helps bump us up in the ratings, as does listening to the damn episodes. Now, we will be back on Thursday talking all things NXT and AEW Dynamite. And then once again, we will be back on Sunday with WWE TLC, Tables, Ladders, and Chairs, Instant Announce. So... 
Vintage Chris Benini. Thank you very much for joining me. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Benini. This is the Silver King. You can follow me on Twitter at Silverstein Adam. It's been a long show. Macho Man, we're going to give him the day off. That means I have just three words left for you. Bye for now.